Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. We're just going to roll your note hat at this. So, uh, hello everybody. Episode 176, Galen Trombley Show, returning third, returning guest, third time? Third? Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, so, Jonah Curtin, um, I, I feel like um, every time you come back, like the first time you came back was like kind of surreal. And then every time you come back since, I'm just like, it just feels like I haven't missed a beat with you. So, <laughs> it's good. Uh, so, when you walked in, I said that you were kind of jet setting and you were... Um, recently not in the country for a while yeah that was out uh <laughs> two months i did i started in mexico city um uh, did two weeks there fell in love with the place um wanted to stay there as long as i could but i wanted to see more of the country in mexico so i took off to the beach down to puerto escondido um for me traveling i like to experience the culture i like to experience what it's like if i were to live in this place for a long period of time mm-hmm. puerto escondido was more digital nomads um more tourist and it really wasn't the vibe i was looking for while traveling so this was the beach area the beach area yeah so i had i and i had some bad luck um you can rent scooters there to get around all week it's a very small little beachy town so i'd rented a scooter and we had had a good time for a couple days and party that night and so we were driving to the beach one day and sure enough on the highway my scooter breaks down and it's maybe 90 degrees 100 percent humidity and I'm pushing this scooter in flip-flops and a Hawaiian shirt back to about four miles to the place where I had to bring it back to. And right there, I was like, I'm going to get out of this place. It's not, it's not serving me well. And so I bought a one-way ticket and went to Colombia and spent three weeks more in Colombia, which uh, I had prior experience with being down there for a very long time. Maybe one of my favorite countries I've ever been to. Um, hung out in Cartagena, which is up on the coast, and Santa Marta. It's right on the Caribbean coast of Colombia and went up into Minca, which is in the jungle, stayed at these treetops hostels that I stayed at, uh, overlooking the, the Sierra Nevada mountains. It was, every day was gorgeous. Got some food poisoning while I was there, nice. and that kind, of, <laughs> that kind of ruined that little bit of leg of the trip. Um, four days of just being on the toilet yeah, for, just hating life. for both, both sides of my body. Um, then... After that, got back to Medellin, which I love this that city. Um, hung out with friends who I had from three or four or two years ago. Uh, danced, salsa, went out, hung out, saw around the city, and then made it back to Mexico to continue the trip for another six weeks. So, the, so the two week this was just kind of a quick little like flash in the pan, just gonna go hit two places. Yeah, I just uh, I had some friends in Colombia, and I do love the country very much. And so they said, hey, Colombia's back to normal. If you wanna. If you want to catch a plane down here, and with my bad experience on the beach in Mexico, I was like, you know, what? I just need a reset, and so I just bought the one way, the bridge cheap when you fly internationally in, in Latin America, and so I just, yeah, just I, I'd never seen the beach in Colombia, so I decided to go down there instead. So when you, again, I've, I've kind of said before, so first place was Mexico City, that was you planned to stay there for a long time or no? That was just like that was a jumping off point. Um, so just go, and how how many days did you plan to stay there? Uh. I planned only on six. 
I stayed for 11 the first time because I, I think Mexico City has become my new favorite city in the world. Okay. Um, it's alive. It's it, There's music on every street corner. There's tacos on every street corner. There, it's, it's, it's the fourth largest city in the world. It's the largest city in North America. It's 24 million people. Wow, I didn't know that. It's like 21 million, but they don't count the immigrants. They don't count the homeless. And so you start adding a few million more here and here. Um, so it's, it's a you fly into it and you look at it. And Latin American cities don't really build up like we would in the States. They kind of build out. And a lot of them are very mountainous. Mm -hmm. And so you fly into this place and it's just this sprawling metropolis going up into the mountains. And so it's, it's built up into the mountains. Yeah, well, like the buildings are built up into it. So okay. these little like, I don't know if you've seen pictures kind of like the Montreal almost a little bit. A little bit. like Probably more extreme. but Yeah, like Brazil, how they have the favelas that build up on mm -hmm. these. It's kind of like that in a lot of Latin American cities where it's just like these little homes built on top of each other. Just boom, boom, boom. So boom. it's more like residential apartments yes, up there yes. versus like commercial. Yes, exactly. Which okay. is different because you would think where we come from. The people up on the mountains are spending the most money for their house. They have the best view. It's the opposite. The people who are in the city center usually are spending the most money, live in the high rises, and then as you move out, the the, the poorer the poorer communities are there. So, um, is how how is Mexico? How is your uh, Spanish right now? Uh, as one out of ten, my speaking is probably a six or a seven. Oh wow! Okay. And then my listening is like a four. Okay. Um, if, I always say if Spanish speakers do not want me to understand, I won't understand. They, they can speak with colloquial terms. They can speak too fast for my ears. It's just it's a very difficult thing for me to do. I can carry on basic conversations all day, every day. I can ask for directions anywhere I go. Um, I can kind of joke around with certain people. I understand some things. Um, but as far as having, like, I was hanging out with a girl. The first two days we talked, uh, great conversations the whole time and then we started talking about a little more serious things that i had never talked about in spanish before and she was i don't understand the last two days you could speak spanish and today you can't speak spanish so what is going on i was like well i have no practice with these things so you kind of get in the rhythm of talking yeah. about the same thing over and over and the words come very quick but then the new the new subjects come up and it gets very difficult and there's some words you've never even heard of before. no that's it i just don't i have i think i have about a year in latin america and so i need just more vocabulary yeah, that's all it is. Yeah, and, that, um, and what's the is Colombia Spanish too? It is so similar. Or they have their own dialect. They have their own words. Um, I think Colombian and Mexican are two of the easier Spanish to learn. Okay, uh, especially in Colombia, there's a little. Each city has their own little colloquial colloquial terms. The coast, I can't, I can't understand their their uh, their Spanish. Is it like very native? There? It is very native, and they drop words, they add sounds, and it's very. It almost sounds like one long word. They don't really take a lot of pauses. In Medellin, where I spent the most time, they have a very pretty Spanish, and it's very easy to understand. It's kind of repetitive. It's kind of on a beat, on a tempo. And so I found that very easy. And I learned. I went to school there for three months learning Spanish, so that Spanish was a little easier for me. Yeah. I find Mexican Spanish very clear. They do enunciate all their words very well, but they also have a lot of words that where I learned in Colombia they don't have. And they do. So, they talk very fast. They use a lot of like bad words and so that's kind of to learn the mexican spanish it would just take it would take a year to live in mexico um so but it, in mexico city obviously being a ma massive city i mean i'm sure there's plenty of english-speaking people i'm sure, sure. yeah because i mean it's just like, yeah it's kind of you always you always think going to these countries i mean nowadays europe asia there's cultural differences obviously but this there are cities new york city same thing you go down you can speak any language in new york city yes. you hear people speak any language so yes. um but 20 so over 20 million people what what is do you know what the largest city in the world is oh we looked it up oh man 
It's got to be someplace in India. I think or China. It's, yeah, it's one of it's either. I know Tokyo's right up there, and like New Delhi. New is Delhi it? might be number one. It's. You're I know right. there's a place in Pakistan too that has a massive amount of people. Yeah, those. It's that area in China, uh, India. It's in that little bit of of the world. I don't know, and we did that's, look it up. That, well, that, that's. I. I just never. If you would have asked me. Mexico City, you said fourth largest? Yeah. I never would have thought that would even be in the top 20. Same. I had no idea. My dad told me that before I left, and I was like, I had to fact check him because I was like, I had There's to. no way. Yeah. I thought New York City would be bigger. I thought LA would be bigger. Well, I, I always look at New York City. Like, I was just down there last weekend, and New York City, to me, always seems like outrageously big, but you got to also think New York City is geographically kind of jammed up where you can only have so much. So, like, you talk about... Mexico City can probably build out for miles. New York City really can't. No. We were on the metro one day. And we took the metro for an hour to go to a place, and we were still in the city. And we still had another 30 minutes, 40 minutes of getting That's out crazy. of it. It's, it's, well, it, the, ci- the city has, like, its own, like, cities within the city. It does, yeah. It has its own little the barrios, the villages that you would go to. But, um, like, where the tourists hang out, there's maybe three or four. And they're all maybe two miles from each other so they're all very walkable and so that's really where the area that when i go there i would hang out when the other tourists go there is it mostly scooters vespas like little just kind of like no it's all walking really it's all walking or taxis they actually do have tesla taxis that you can order um that's a pretty common thing down there for whatever reason mexico city's got a lot of money and so you hang out the main little areas the central the center of the town el centro is where the government buildings are, where the... the so city. Mexico City is the capital? Yes. Okay, yeah, I thought yeah, so, but yeah, you weren't yeah. And uh, Roma and Condesa, you, you drive around, there's BMWs, Mercedes, there's really nice streets. It reminded me much of uh, Uptown Dallas when I lived there. What, uh, money-wise, like, what do you think Mexico... I mean, obviously, drug cartel comes <laughs> number one, but I doubt everybody's in a drug cartel, but what's, like, are they, is it tech, is it... Is it manufacturing is it it's pharmaceuticals very, is it's it? a very rich oil country oil okay. and that's actually where the narcos aren't the biggest threat anymore for 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 bad guys it's these these small groups of people going to these small oil towns and then stealing the oil in one way or the other and that's where it kind of gets dangerous things have kind of shifted from the power the power the power dynamic has shifted mm-hmm. from i mean obviously the narco terrorists are still very powerful um, and now I'm just going off of what I've learned from, yeah. from people, what they've told me. But the people with the oil money are now becoming more powerful and more powerful. And obviously with money in Mexico, it becomes more corrupt, more corrupt like that. Where, where's the uh, where's oil in re- relative to Mexico City? Is it in the city? Or the, I mean, no, I'm, I'm no. I'm assuming you're it, more rural. Yeah, it's up in the uh, the north. The northern part of Mexico is a little more dangerous. Okay. Um, I, my, I wanted to drive from the United States to Mexico City. Met some locals. They're like, that's probably not the best idea ever because the north, for whatever reason, the closer to the border you get, the more drugs, the more money. Yeah, the south, Mexico City in the south, no problems. I mean, I took night buses every time. We we hung out in all the different cities. um, I went to the only place I've been to in Mexico is Cozumel, okay, which is way on the east coast. It was part of a a cruise, so it wasn't like I. But the cool thing about it was we did, we were able to go a little bit into like the village, Mm -hmm. Um, and it was neat. And but. Very welcoming, but granted, it was also a port. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming it was more like, hey, we, these are the people who are making our money. So, but um, yeah, I think Mexico, at least my understanding every, or my perception, is that you just hear all the negatives about Mexico. And I think that obviously foreshadows, or not foreshadows, overshadows everybody else because, like anything, it's bad eggs or bad apples that yes. ruin it for everybody. So, I think Mexico, I think drugs, I think crime, I think, you know, just cartels like people you don't want to see and, and mm-hmm. it's most likely that's a that's like saying gangs in New, in america like, yeah 
there are some, but I've never really met them. Like I don't want to, but yeah. it's the yeah. So I'm assuming it's about the same. It is exactly the same. Um, and the and the Latin American people from all the countries I've been in, they they know that's the reputation in the world that they have, and, and they hate that reputation, especially in Colombia and Mexico, where the narco traffic is such a such a big part of the culture itself mm-hmm. that they're trying very hard to have this not be the reputation of their countries. So it's obviously a real, it's real, it's yes. a threat, but it's it's probably embellished within uh, the world societies? It is. Okay. And, and I mean, you have these TV shows, which I do love, like Narcos that come out, and all yeah. you see is these gangs, and all you see is shootings. And it's like, like Ozark, yes, think, Breaking yes. Bad. Yeah. And you go out, and you go down there, and the Mexican people are maybe the most welcoming people I've ever met in my life. Um, everyone is warm, everyone is friendly. I never once felt in danger. Um, never was pickpocketed, and I think if you travel long enough, you get you things will be stolen from you. It's just it's just it's just what happens if you're yeah. backpacking around. I've never been robbed in any of the countries I've been in. I've never had any dangerous things happen to me, and so I, I feel rather safe when I travel through why, Latin America. Why do you think the the Mexican culture is, is like a welcoming culture? Is it part of the religion? Is it part of just their society? Because I know they're a very religious country. Yes, they are. Um, I think I think as a Latin America as a whole. It's a very welcoming place. Um, the culture itself. Why is it that way? I I can't give you a solid a, answer. I, like the way I look at, I went to uh, San Antonio back in April, and San Antonio obviously has a massive uh, Mex Tex whatever mm-hmm. um, influence, and I just felt like I just thought it was really cool. Like San Antonio, I thought it was a fun, a, a cool area. I thought it was very, you know, like I said. Welcoming, the people were super nice. It was a city, but it didn't feel like an overwhelmingly big city. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I I, I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, obviously, you weren't weren't far. Well, I guess Texas, you probably were far, but you weren't far from from. Well, I, lived, San- I lived in San Antonio for a long time. Oh, did you? I thought you were. Um, I was in Dallas, Fort Worth. I was more. in Dallas, but when my training for the military, that's where, that's where it took place the whole time. Okay, so yeah, yeah. so we were down in like we went downtown and we yep. um kind of the River Walk, obviously, but there were some other places we went to and um. I was only there for probably three days, but I thought it was really cool. Like I would definitely go back if I if I had a chance. Um, but I found that the people, like I said, it didn't feel much different than here. Mm-hmm. This is like a bigger scale, but people were very welcoming. Very, you know, they would talk to you, they would give you directions, they would help you out. And I think, um, obviously, again, kind of a lot of the Mexican heritage is part of that culture. Um, so I don't know. I just it, it, a lot of dancing. We went to a wedding, and everybody's doing like the little dances and stuff. And mm-hmm. it was it was like a cool culture shock, but it was fun. So I don't know, like I said, if there was like, I mean, there's something, but it, it could just be the way they all just were raised and grew up or. I think it has something to do with that. And I think. Family dynamics. Yeah. And I think that they're just, they're Latin America culture, Hispanic culture is very touchy feely. It's very lovey. It's very romantic. It's just kind of how it has always been. Mm-hmm. And then you add the, the addition of them wanting to have foreigners come into their country and show them that this is not a dangerous place and show them that you can come and hang out. And then you start learning a little bit of Spanish and you start talking with them. And the whole world starts to open up when you're there. Do they do they appreciate you attempting the Spanish? They love it. Okay, they love it, and they'll tell you that. Because I will go down and be like, I don't know it. But okay, we get it. Say hola, and and if you just say one or two words, they just run with it, and they think you speak Spanish, and then they're yelling at you in Spanish, talking, and it's like, what's slow down? Yeah, uh, despacio. (laughs) I I need to know that. I feel like I'm on break. I know English, English, Anglais. But uh, yeah, so I I uh, in Mexico City is uh, similar. Meaning, like you said, kind of that, that welcoming, because obviously it's a big Com- city. But completely, dude. Okay. Um, one day, my birthday, we were down there, which was, I loved spending my birthday in Mexico. And we went to these 
I'm going to call them party boats. Okay. They're really an old tradition that comes from decades ago. And you get on these little boats. They have a table in the middle. And it's like just a flat piece of wood, basically, with a little thing over it. It's like a pontoon? Yeah. It's like their version little of booze a pontoon. Cruise. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. <laughs> and before we got there, we're like, man, we are starving. And so I, I just talking to the friend next to me. We were talking in Spanish. And this little old lady hears me say that I need food. She goes, oh, I have a kitchen. Come with me. Come with me. And so she brings us to her house. She has her kitchen right there, sets up two little t- uh, tables in her dining room, starts cooking food. Her sister walks me to the liquor store. We buy a bottle of tequila. We start taking shots for my birthday. They're making food for us, hanging so out. this lady, just because she found out it was your birthday? She found out my birthday, and she heard that I was hungry. And so she invited us into their That's house. Crazy. Um, we do, then we go and do the, the cruise for two hours, and we come back, go back to her house. She has her own bottle, turns on salsa music. So there's 10 people, a couple from... I think we had Switzerland people, German people. How many people myself. did you know in that group? Uh, all of us. Oh, you did? We, okay. We, we'd come from the hostel, but everyone's from Europe. These two little ladies are from Mexico. They opened their house for us. They're drinking with us, dancing salsa all night. It's so funny. It was, yeah, it was right out of, a, out of a dream, man. It was a very cool experience. Um, well, I see all the photos on, on social. I, I, I don't know if you, you told me you were going back or not, but I, then I started to watch it. I was like, oh, he's traveling again. And I kept seeing you know, the group photos, and you guys would typically get group photos like at night and mm-hmm. obviously probably post-dinner and you know, just kind of hanging out and, and – uh, you know, at that point, just kind of socializing. And um, it just looks like a fun time. It just, it, the one thing that I, I gathered, obviously there's people like in the photo, like typically after dinner and drinks, everybody's kind of in a good mood and, and spirited. But I think that the one thing that I saw was the level of like mixture of exploration, mixture of freedom, mixture of calm, mixture of just like island time kind of thing where it didn't look like anybody was stressed out. It didn't look like anybody was um, in a, in a rush to go anywhere no. and it, it kind of, you would, and all different people and you're looking at them and they all just had the same facial expression or say, I mean the same, like look like demeanor where they're just like, I'm just happy to be here right now living in the moment. And it was like so cool to see. It is. It, when I travel, I'm, I'm relatively an anxious person. Um, especially before I left for my first trip, I, when I left, I noticed the immediate difference in my own, my own psyche and how I felt about just my daily routine. I left and I got into South America and it was like my anxieties washed away. And granted, I had a year to travel, so I had no plans. They're all open-ended. But it was just, the, I'm super happy to live in the United States. Mm-hmm. But the rat race, I think here, the, the continual necessity of need, need to build and get better and build and get better. And then the, the, the dollar is so strong here in our, in, our, in, our, in our psyche is just make money, make money, do more. Mm-hmm. That is where I think in Latin America is obviously they need money. They need money more, probably more than most people because it's very poor. But the, the slowness of the daily life is really what has drawn me to Latin America more. Um, I was, when I was running late today, I was like, oh, man, if I was still in Mexico, I'm going to be early by 10 minutes. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. I think I told you before. Yeah. I'm like, I literally just showed up. Yeah. So you're good. Yeah. But it's just, it slows things down. Um, and it's just a bigger – the money comes almost second to – to and this is a hard thing to talk about because obviously all my friends they love their family they love their friends i love my family i love my friends but there still seems the rat race still seems to be part of everyday life in in the united states yeah i would agree yeah i mean i i know for myself it's you know the 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 getting up i mean this i've talked about this um you know between work and between you know parenting like they're both full-time jobs and you know you try to make it work and then you try to squeeze in you know, and you're trying not to take too much from one or too much from the other. And you want to make sure you, you get, you know, you're giving focus to your children. You want to make sure you're giving focus and time to the business. And then what happens, 
I find is I get anxious because there's just always stuff and I'm just like, there's just not enough time. And even though I know it's like, it's fine, you'll get to it, you'll finish it. Like I can tell myself that, but like inside of me, heart, head, whatever, or mind, wherever it is, it's like that, like almost like a panic. Like, okay, I, I know I can get to it, but I'm like, I can't do anything for like four hours because I have the kids. So then it's like, you know, okay, nine o'clock. And finally you like sit down and like, I'm, I'm just mentally just like mush right now. Yeah. I can't do it. And so I'm trying to, I was telling you today, like Fridays is kind of like a day, like a pause day. It's probably my least anxious day of the week because it's like, I don't really have much. I have a couple things to do, but it's not like I, I didn't really line up my day to be like loaded with stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I did that one to give me a little bit of pause in the week before the weekend. It's kind of like my transition into the, into the work day into kind of more like, like devoted dad time. Mm-hmm. But it's same thing. It's like it, you, I think over the last couple years, and I think COVID obviously did help a little bit where it kind of paused everything. And, and I found that society also paused so everybody could kind of pause together and not feel guilty. Mm-hmm. But then still, I think I'm a little more laid back on certain things right now. There's things I'm still, I might be internally uptight, but I think I try to kind of subdue them on the, on the outside. But the, yeah, I mean, and I, I would say my my scale is a very minor scale versus like again I just came from New York City yeah. I couldn't even imagine working yeah. in New York City, like just the commute and just like you start looking at just the noise and the people and people not knowing who you are not caring who you are and I think that like you talked about like Mexico being very welcoming I think New York is welcoming but I think there's a there's a very hardness to New York yes. and I think that. I don't go down to New York City and really feel welcomed in New York City as much as I think I would in another place. Like, yeah. I think New York City, I've always gone down. Like, I like it. I like going around. But it's very much like, okay, I'm on alert. And it's like an internal – anytime I've gone down to the city, it's like an internal switch that goes off. I become more aggressive. I become more careless with certain things mm-hmm. and more careful with certain things. And not because I don't like the people, but I just know, like, you got to fit that culture a little bit and you have to push your way a little bit. You have to, you have to like not follow the rules because yeah. nobody follows the rules. Like yes. you have to jaywalk, you have to push past people, you have to cut people off, you have to, and it's not because you're being rude, but they're going to do the same to you and would probably expect you to do the same to them. And yeah. I find that I do get a little harder on those trips um, where it's just like a, a quick mental shift because yes. it's almost like a survival mode. Yes. And then when I get out of the city, it's crazy. As soon as you start getting up into the Hudson Valley region, especially once you get to Albany, then you're just like, okay, I'm, I'm getting closer to home. Yeah. yeah like you just, I can just feel like the, like the, the New York grimy like feel just kind of wipe off. And I'm like, okay, I'm going back to home. Yeah. And it makes sense because in the exact opposite, when I come, when I come from the, the Latin American countries and I come back to the States, I've just spent months being, being the foreigner yeah. and, and taking a backseat to everybody. And like, if somebody wants to walk by, I'm like, Okay, you walk by me. I, I take the back seat. I, nothing's in a rush there. I think the biggest. I went to. I went to New York actually before I left with Brad Hansen. Um, uh, oh, okay. So New York City back here or before you went out? Before I left this, this is this Brad trip. in New York City. He's in Albany. In Albany. And so, I haven't seen Brad in years. <laughs> How's he doing? Is he doing good? He's good. He's doing great. Good. He's, yeah, okay. He's got good. A place. He's working. I don't know where you were. I don't want to say anything that I don't know. No, no, no. That's fine. But but yeah. Yeah. I know Brad. I, I love Brad. He's doing well. Yeah. And uh, we took two nights and spent the night in Brooklyn at a hostel together. And we went to a Peruvian restaurant and we ordered our food. They came, they dropped it off, and then they never checked on you again. In the States, you have your waiters every step, every 10 seconds. Are you everything okay? You need this, you need that, you need this. In Latin America, they give you your food. Unless you call them over, they don't come back to you. And that's okay. not bad service. It's just is the service. They just want to give you time. That, well, they just, that's not how they operate there. And so we were sitting there and Brad's like, 
man, it's taking a long time to get our check. I'm like, oh, you want the check, dude? We got to ask for it. And just that kind of thing, when you're living in Latin America, you're spending time there, that's, that's such a hands-off approach to life. It's such a, it's like we, when, when things are ready, we'll bring them to you. When the bu- if the bus is late, ah, it's late, no big deal. If your taxi takes an extra 20 minutes, ah, that's too bad. Like there's no. But that's acceptable in the culture. That's how it is. So like in my mind, in like a, I, I like to be on time. Now, I try to make a focus of being on time. Like mm-hmm. I really try to be punctual. Now the girls might say, "Well, you're never on time." I, <laughs> I, I I'm, all, I'm, I'm typically on time for things with people yeah. that I kind of kept accountable. Like this, I would be on time. Actually, I would even, I would even lie. Like I would be on time, but I might be a minute or two late because I know it's you versus somebody that I don't know as well. Mm-hmm. Not to disrespect for you, but I know like it would be the one idea that like, well, I know Jonah really could care less if we start three minutes late. Yeah, you know and. But I, I, I think if I was, I think going down there and that becoming common and then coming back here, you have to have the societal okayness with it because of in a business field, if I was down in Mexico and I was like, yeah, I got an appointment at 10 and they show up at 10, 25 and like, yeah, that's fine. Like me, I'd be like, well, I got another one at 11. Yeah. So, and I got to travel there. So like that, that's where I would get, I would get nervous because unless you only have like one appointment throughout the day and that's like the only thing they do. And they're like, well, if it started 11 or 1130, we're okay. I, I think... So I don't work down there. And so I do think when you do have businesses that are rather important, they'll be more punctual. Because I, I mean, coming from the military, I'm a very punctual person. Mm-hmm. So my first trips down there, I was like, man, this is, this is quite annoying when the bus says it's going to be here at 9 and it's 9.30 and the bus is still not around. Or the plane is supposed to leave 14 minutes ago and we're just sitting on it. Yeah. But then you start to slow down. And you're like, man, it's not that big a deal. It's, it's just life. Like, I'm not doing anything. Well, it's only a a big deal because we put it in the constructs of time meaning we yeah. have other stuff that we have yes, to get to so exactly. if you're like i'm on a plane and sometimes I, I do this in life where i go back to is anybody dying is any is this going to really make a big difference besides <clears throat> and a lot of it is then i think maybe i just pack my schedule too much <laughs> where it's just like i now i'm really dependent on a clock where if something goes off and it de- is detriment to the whole day which is kind of why I like Fridays. I'm like, if we started at 10, at 10 o'clock, it wouldn't have really made much of a difference mm-hmm. in my day. But again, going down there, I don't Yeah, I'd have to, I think I would embrace it, but I think knowing, and I think I could get into that mode quick, yeah. but I think it would have to be a common thing amongst people where I would have to slow down because at the end of the day, if a plane leaves a half hour late, it's like, well, I'm still going to get to where I need to go. The only thing I've lost is a little bit of time, which obviously time is your most valuable currency, yeah. but or finite currency, but it's the idea that it's still not going to, in the overall scheme of life, it's not a huge deal. Yeah. And we didn't embellish it because of, Hey, I got an appointment in an hour. And that's it. And that's exactly it. Maybe it's a letdown. Cause like I said, if I'm late with you and then I'm meeting with some other guy and then I'm late with him and then I meet a girl and I'm late with her, then I feel bad that I'm like, cause I'm not respecting their time. Yes. And it's not, it's because of things like steamrolling, which happens. And that's yes. the thing I think in our society, it's like, you're five minutes late. Screw you. And it's like, Okay, well, you want to ask why I'm late? Like, yes. it wasn't just I was just sleeping and didn't feel like leaving. And I think they, 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 I think Hispanic, Latin American people, when they're working, they don't pack their day as tight. I could be completely wrong. I've never had a job there, but I don't think it's boom, 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 boom. I think they leave a little bit of space for, ah, he's 10 minutes late. Oh, he's 15 do, minutes late. Do they have the uh, afternoon, like, siestas? Some cities do. Okay. Um, not Mexico City. It's just, I mean, it's too many people to yeah. shut the whole thing down. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure people in the communities in different parts of the city do. 
Um, and that's what, just like a big lunch, and you just go back just and just go hang chill. out. Dude. When, uh, when I was in Argentina in Mendoza, it's where all the if you look at a lot of Malbec wine, you'll see Mendoza. It's where it's all made. Um, so you go there, and all you're doing is drinking wine. And Argentina is famous for its steak. And so every too, yeah. every day you're just eating steak and drinking wine, and then two o'clock rolls around, and the whole city just shuts down. Like you can't buy a bottle of water. And so you're like, what am I gonna do? And you just go to bed, hang out in your bed. Uh, take a nap for two hours, then four o'clock rolls around, and the whole place opens back up. So it is two to four. Two to four every day. Well, now, what's the purpose of that? To relax. Really? So just, it's not like a religious thing. It's just just that you have your lunch, you go take a nap, and then throughout the day, then you come back at four, and your day maybe goes to eleven or twelve or one o'clock, eating dinner at nine o'clock, ten o'clock at night, and so your day kind of shifts back. And I think. Argentina is very proud of the European roots, and so when you come from Spain, you come from Italy, where that's a very a big thing still, is taking a siesta in the middle of the day, that I think those, is that why it's in Argentina so strong? See, that, see, that would be another one. Where, like, it sounds great, and I'm sure it's fantastic when you live there. Then in my mind, I'm like, that's such valuable time in the day that we get so much out of it, but we're like... Like we're, I mean, the states. It's like you want to be done by about five at the latest because mm-hmm. you want to have like an evening and, and like I said, for them, if they just kind of roll it into, you know, they get home at eight, nine o'clock at night. That's normal. Yeah. But they had the two hours in between. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, maybe it refreshes the batteries. You kind of work in bursts. It's like work, rest, work, rest. Yeah, and it. I mean, I liked it, but I'm never working when I'm traveling in these places. Yeah. So it's so like you can get a siesta all day. Really. I get up at ten o'clock. I go have a cappuccino, my breakfast, and I walk around the city a little bit go have lunch, maybe drink a couple glasses of the wine. And it's like, nah, time for a nap, I think. Go take a two-hour nap, wake back up, go have my first dinner, wait till about 11, have my second dinner. I, I, uh, that, that's like vacation. I, don't, I haven't done a lot of vacationing, but that would be kind of the vacation, like kind of like the cruise I was telling you about. Like, it wasn't uncommon middle of the day be like, I'm just going to go chill in my room and just hang out and do nothing. Yeah. And then like get, get kind of that second wind and go out for the night and there's, like stay out till, like you said, one, two in the or evening yeah, or there's morning. No, there's no say. pressure to do anything. And, uh, and traveling, everyone always asks me, they're like, man, don't you get lonely on the road? Don't you like, how do you meet people? It's like, dude, if you stay in a hostel, I mean, my last hostel had 10 beds in the room. Yeah. And so sometimes you're just like, I need a break from all these people. So you go get an Airbnb so you can just sleep by yourself and mm-hmm. not have a hundred people you're meeting all the time. And so it's just go, 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 go. So sometimes, you, yeah, taking the siesta is a very welcoming thing at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I, I would actually, I was going to say, when you said, are, are you lonely? I don't, f- based on what I see, I think you're the opposite of lonely. It almost seems like you're almost with people all the time. Every second. And these are people you just meet. Just right? meet. Yeah. It's like, hey, let's just go get lunch. You start shooting the shit with them. And the next thing you know, you hang out with them for four days. Like, oh, this guy's a, or gal's a really per- cool person. And that's what it is. And I think we're all, tra- a lot of people are traveling solo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're all kind of looking for a connection because if you don't find somebody to hang out with, well, you're in this great place, but you have nobody to go exploring with. And yeah. so everyone's kind of fiending for those, those really deep connections. And you have all these, these similarities in what you're doing and what you like. You all kind of think the same. You're all out in this random part of the world. And so you're having these deeper conversations. You're finding out about their family. And you really create a very strong bond very quickly. Well, I know... Um you know, well, at least the last time you came on, you had talked about that. You had some friends that you had met pretty much in every single place. We're still in contact. And then in um, Colombia was the second time you went there, right? Yes. And those are the people you had, you said, from two years ago? Yeah. Um, now, what's Colombia like overall relative to Mexico? Actually, or I find, guess or even the States. I find uh, Colombia and the States are worlds apart. Uh, Mexico and Colombia are actually very similar. Within, and I mean that as the people are very welcoming people. There's a very heavy uh, – well, all of Latin America is very heavy into music, into dancing – 
but Colombia maybe even more so. Uh, Colombia, especially Cali, Colombia is the king of or the the land of salsa. So everywhere you go, you hear salsa music, and if you listen to it enough, you hear the beat, and you're like, salsa music. And everywhere you look, is people dancing in the streets. People will be playing instruments, and you have a couple old couples in the street just dancing salsa. Reggaeton is also another uh, form of music, and it comes from Colombia. And it's kind of more club music, and so you'll hear, and it has a different beat. So everywhere you're going, you're hearing music playing all over the cities. How how big is so? Colombia is at the very northern uh, part of South America, right? Yep. Um, does it is Panama connected to it? It is. Okay. Yeah. So um, now Colombia, that's also there was a lot of um, again my my perception of Colombia was the cartels and and the um, who was the the big Pablo. Pablo uh, Sanchez, right? Pablo Escobar. Pa- Sanchez is from, uh, he's a baseball, backyard <laughs> yeah. baseball. I was thinking of Pablo Sanchez. Pablo Escobar. There you go. Yeah. Um, so P- Pablo Escobar, so he he's no longer in power? No, no, no. He died in the 90s. Okay, so again, my, my Colombian, yeah. I, I know one person from Colombia, mm-hmm. and she's great, but I know only one person. So the, but is that still very prevalent down there, the drug cartels in Colombia? Or is that, um, that you know of, or is it still kind of when you go down, it's just, it's just like here, be like saying that there's, you know, Bloods and Crips, but I live in upstate New York, and it's like, yeah. Colombia, like, there's three major cities in Colombia. Um, Cali, Medellin, and Bogota. Bogota is the capital. Okay. I think it's like relatively 12 million people. Medellin has about three, and Cali is a little bit smaller than Medellin, I believe. I could be I could be wrong about that. But Cali is a little more dangerous right now because of just political unrest. Um Latin America, for its history, has dealt with political unrest due to, due to army coups, due to, um, oh man, due to, just bad people taking power and mm-hmm. corruption and money, and and then these narco traffics have so much money, so they have influence in what's going on. Also in Colombia, you have the FARC, the guerrillas, you have all these different factions, and in the in the jungles fighting over this this drug money basically, and so it's not just. And then you have extreme poverty as well. I mean, the dollar to the, the Colombian peso is 3,800 pesos to $1. And so when you're dealing with that level of poverty, you obviously have more crime just be out of necessity. Um, where, where I hang out, where most of the tourists hang out, it's very rare to have a lot of crime going on just because these countries know that they rely heavily on tourists, and so they want to keep these parts safe. Obviously, it's not always safe, like in any major city in the world. I mean, you can go to New York, you can go to Dallas, mm-hmm. and you can you can walk into a sketchy area and have something bad happen to you. Um, f- the narco-terrorist in Colombia, uh, I've spent most of my time in Medellin. I've spent up to, I think, six months in Medellin. And they are very proud of, they're very proud of their, of their city, first of all, but they're very proud of the fact that they have kicked the narcos out of their city. Pablo Escobar is from Medellin. Um, back in the 80s and 90s, he was killing, I mean, so many people died. Thousands of people died at his hand. Um, and so there's a place called Comuna 13, Comuna Today Say, that kind of was the hub of everything going on. The reason it was was because there's one highway in and out of Medellin to the coast and to Panama, which is where the drugs needed to go to get them out of the country. They just controlled that road. They, and that's, that was why that place was so dangerous, because you had eight or nine different factions fighting over this one little area of, of, of the city. Um, finally, the government came through, came by and had a peace talk with all these different factions and said, Hey, we, you're killing our people. Like this is, we can't do this anymore. People are just dying. Kids are dying. Everyone's dying. 
And so these groups have made a peace peace treaty, basically, and they've honored it for the last 20 years that they won't do that anymore. There still are gangs, there still are there's still violence, but it doesn't take place in the city as much anymore. Um, so the, when you go to Colombia, you go on these tours, and all they'll tell you is that we are trying to keep these narco terrorists out of our city, out of our country. They don't like them. They don't like the fact that tourists come down and just hook up with hookers and, and do cocaine. That's not what they want to be known for. They, they have such a rich history and such a rich culture that that's what they want to be known for. Um, it's, it's just, like I said, it's so bizarre. I mean, world, unless you're like really a world traveler or learn a lot about traveling, and I'm going to say I'm neither of those, even though, I mean, they sound enticing. I like history. I like learning about cultures and stuff. It's just time-wise. I don't mm-hmm. know. But if I was to look at a lot of these, I think a lot of people are like me where the perception is built up in our in our minds of certain things. And I think like America probably has stereotypes that people talk about and, you know, all they eat is pizza and hot dogs and like all this crap. And it's like, well, yeah, I guess if you're watching the Nathan hot dog eating competition yeah. on, you know, July 4th, but I think at the end of the day, it's like everybody has these spins on how they generalize the, the country or they might generalize it about a politician or they might generalize it about, you know, a certain, uh, you know, cultural shift or something. Mm-hmm. But Again, to go down, most people, the problem I think with the, like, I mean, this is a world problem in general, like the world's a bell curve and I, what, 80, 90% of people are in that, that big center bell curve and they're pretty open, reasonable people. And you get the, 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 the high end of the low end bell curve, which are just the crazy extreme people. And and unfortunately they're the ones that get the, the, the immediate attention. They're the ones that I think unfortunately paint a spotlight for an area or a region or a company or a culture or a, uh, a country that's really skewed. Yes. Cause I, I just like look at the United States. Like most people are reasonable people. Most people like each other. Most people want to help each other out. Most people want to lend a hand. Most people want to, you know, ask questions and learn. And then there's the, but those people aren't, you know, those people aren't put into the spotlight, which, cause they can't, cause it's pretty much everybody. Yes. But then it's, like I said, I think going down and media, obviously the way they portray it. And, and, but I, I look at Latin America, like history. Yes. But then I always think like crime, I would think like my head, oh, man, I think it's dangerous to travel down there. For sure. You know, like I said, it's probably, I, there is, it's dangerous to travel in the United States too in places, but I think would you, uh, you would start say, a very, very high, high, high percentage of the area is very easy to travel around with no issue. Yeah, I think so. But I also think there is more inherent danger just because you're dealing with more poverty. And so with, with, with more poverty, it becomes True, more, yeah. more problems. Um, but for me... <laughs> Less money, more problems. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Um, for me, though, the one of the biggest attractions to Latin America is that inherent sense of danger. Is that it's just a little more like the Wild West. It's... Uh, Things, so you like that? I do, and okay. it kind of keeps your head on a swivel. I mean, obviously, you're not going to be stabbed on every street corner. You're not going to. That's not going to. That doesn't happen. Like, that just doesn't happen. But there is more danger. There is. You do have to pay a little more attention. There's a little more wildness to the whole to the whole culture. Well, I think being being a tourist too adds For sure. that. Yes. Like someone coming here, you could be in like I could be in New York City. You got to watch stuff a little bit, but I kind of know. Yes. I think I'd have a better chance surviving here than I would probably Mexico City. And you speak the language, and you can you know all the little subtle cues and things. Well, like Well, and this. also, I mean, there's you know you talk about it now. Like if you go to Mexico, 
and you are Caucasian in Mexico, you stick out a little bit more than you if you're Mexican. Out, so, yes. but it's the same thing. Like if you know someone came to, like up here and was a different nationality, they stick out more just yeah. because there's there's only so many of them. And um, so I think that that would be another thing. You go down to like Mexico City, and it's like, well, here's this white guy from America because yes. it's not New York; it's America. It's like yeah. you just from get the whole country to yes. yourself. But uh, I think that is also you know. Not that you draw attention, but you do, you're easier to pick out. Oh, you draw attention. Like, I'll walk down the street, and especially in the smaller towns, mm-hmm. there'll just be people that are just staring at you because you're a white person. I've been in Colombia where people are like, can we take a picture with you? I'm like, why? Because you're white. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're a white person. And I guess, and like, I've talked to my friends who've gone to, they've gone to India, and they said they'll have a line of people just taking pictures with them because they're a white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed person. They've, really? They've never seen them in their life. We were, myself... And bizarre. I, I was sitting in this little city in Brazil and myself was there. And then this, this guy from the Netherlands who was of Asian descent, but spoke perfect Portuguese. So we were talking and you could just see these three kids watching us and their wheels turning, figuring out how this man who looked Chinese was speaking Portuguese with a Dutch accent. And they were like, what is going on? And like, cause these people don't see anybody except their people outside yeah. and they've never seen another person. Have you ever seen, there's a, there's a guy on YouTube that does like spoofs where he can speak perfect Mandarin. Yes. Yeah. You've seen him. Yes. Like he goes he in, walks like, in. Yes. He like orders something and he's like, <laughs> I want to, uh, they're like, what, what do you want? And he's like, do 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 do. And they're just like, oh, wait, what? And you see like the cooks turn around. Like, who is this yeah, guy? And that's how it is. It, like they, and I mean, you'll, you walk on the street and they'll just look at you. Like they've never seen, and I mean, but like, how, how bizarre is it that it's something as simple as just learning another language makes you look like you have five heads? Yes. And, well, it's true. And, and, and it does. Like, if I saw someone speaking, like, if, I, if you were speaking perfect Chinese, I was like, wait, what? Is there, like, a chip in you that, like, they just inserted since I last knew you? Like, all of a sudden, Jonah can speak Chinese? When I was in Medellin, I was hanging out with a Serbian dude who was married to a girl from Medellin. So he spoke perfect colloquial Medellin Spanish with a Serbian accent. And so one day we were just down in El Centro talking to people and he had the girls giggling. The dudes were just like, what is it? Cause for all the little terms, all the little colloquial words that they would use, he would use them perfectly. Are you Colombian? Are you Serbian? Well, like now, how, how does that work for you when you're trying to learn it? But then there's another accent, like a Serbian accent versus the Me- Cause you kind of try to learn the Mexican tonation of it. And then all of a sudden now, Someone from Serbia, which is a very thick, rich accent. Yeah, it is. A, you know, a very aggressive kind of, you know, harsh accent. And then you're like, how do you put those together? Because it's not... So I have a much easier time listening to people who don't speak Spanish as their first language, who have learned it like I have. Okay. Just because it's slower, it's a little bit easier. They use, a little more deliberate. With, yes, exactly. When you have a, a natural-born Spanish speaker, it is just... Sometimes it sounds like one long word, the whole sentence. Off to the races. Yeah. yeah. And so... But... I mean, I'm starting to really, and it's a bummer because when I was leaving, I was really starting to pick it up again. And every time it seems like I'm really starting to pick it up is when I leave the areas that speak it. Um, so, are you, are you going back at some point? I think I go back in January. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I have some plans to go back in January, then again in February, and then do, uh, we'll do figure it out. Not actually, not dumb question. I have no clue. Where do you live right now in the states? <laughs> do you just travel around? No, I, I have. So all summer I rented a room from Shay. Okay. And then I left my car and my dog there. Okay. And then I just flew back here because I have the wedding this afternoon. Yep. Um, and then tomorrow I go to my dad's down in Westport. Yep. I'll have dinner there. Um, Mom's still in Bama. Yep. Okay. So then I start driving. I start. I stop in D.C. to see a friend. Stop in Atlanta to see some family. And then I'm in my mom's for two or three days. Um, I need to register my car because it's been unregistered for about 18 months. Okay. 
COVID. Um, and then I drive to the Dallas to see some old friends when I used to live there. And then I get to Scottsdale and where I rent a room from Tyler Bullris. Nice. Yeah. And so I, I and was that's out. basically the next six weeks or so. Uh, Five weeks, four weeks. No, that's only gonna. I'll be out there by the fifteenth of this month. Oh, really? So yeah. This is just a quick. Two I need week to trip. get out there. I've, I that's where I lived last winter. Um, okay. I, I already texted my boss at the restaurant. I have a job waiting for me again, so I'll go out there until May, and then in May I'll drive back up here, live with Shay for one more summer, work for Green Thumb again, and okay. and then uh, I think the plan is to basically to work until May twenty twenty three, and then I'm I'm trying to go do a real long six to eight month extended trip through Europe. And then to go see all that. To actually like kind of get the next leg of what you want to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. And, and Europe's a little more expensive, so I really need to save some real cash. Um, so Europe, so I guess, well, I guess if you had to put a ratio on it, Latin America to Europe, what's like if you had to save X and for, is it like 5X? So for me, I think a pretty good budget. Because <clears throat> I know the euro's more, worth more, the, the yeah. pound's worth more. Yeah, the pound's worth more. Then you go to the Swiss franc, it's worth even more. Oh, wow. um, but... For me, Latin America, I kind of tell people $1,500 will get you a month of comfortably living, eating food, wow. doing, doing adventures, living in the hostel. And I'm living in hostels, so you have, to, you have to take that into account. I'm paying anywhere from 6 to $11 for a night for a bed. Um, so it's nothing crazy. It's nothing extravagant. It's not, it's not fancy. Yeah, but, but some places actually are very nice, very nice beds, mm-hmm. uh, and it's all pretty private. You learn how to sleep with earplugs in. Um, and if you can't sleep that well, a bottle of wine will always yeah. do the trick. Yeah. Um, and then in Europe, I'm going to go over there with $2,500 a month, uh, maybe three, if I can save up that much cash in this amount of time, mm-hmm. uh, six months, seven months, so about $20,000. But I'm on a big advantage now where the last, all this whole time I've met, I've been traveling through Latin America, I've met solely Europeans in, in the hostels. And so I have people, maybe five, six people in every single country through Europe that I, that, Hey, you can come crash on my couch. You can sleep on my floor. We have an extra guest house. So that will make it very much, much, much yeah. cheaper for me because I'll just be traveling with friends the whole way. And most of it's going to be probably like train taxi. Yeah. It's going to be so the cheapest, not- the cheapest way I can get around mm-hmm. is how I'll be getting around. Um, do you plan? So I guess when you go to Europe, like how many countries would you want to hit in Europe? Because Europe is very cultural. I mean, yeah, it's so many. Because it, I look at the ones you really know, like France, Germany, Ireland, England. I mean, Spain, Portugal, like yeah. Italy. That's always kind of like the west side. Yeah. And then I think as you start to go more east, that's where my geographical knowledge kind of ends. Because like we're you know Slovakia from Czech Republic yes. from you know and and uh, now what about like going north up into like Scandinavia? So I think I'll do Scandinavia and the UK on a separate trip. Okay. I think they. I think I could do two months in each of them, maybe three months in each of them, and then and kind of leave those alone. Scandinavia just because it's so expensive, mm-hmm. and UK is because it's off by itself. And there's those. I mean, Wales, Scotland, Ireland, and and England. <clears throat> I'd like to do all together and kind of see the differences and the similarities between all four. And so I actually think I'm going to start in Greece and work my way up through the eastern Eastern Europe, up okay. the up the coast, uh, Montenegro, Albania, Kosovo, and I've heard great things about those countries. They're very cheap. Very rich in culture. Is Kosovo its own country or is that it a is. city? That is a country. Yes. Okay. And so I'll work my way up through there, up to the Czech, up to Prague. And then I, I think I'll go, this is where it kind of gets tough because you have to kind of look at the the weather. And because Spain and Italy, they're always going to be warm. And so maybe mm-hmm. I go down there first if it's, if it's, or second maybe because I can go through France and Austria and Belgium and the Netherlands when it's summertime and then work my way around the coast, Portugal, Spain, Italy. Um, we were going to... Uh, 
this is oh this was back in school it was England it was London Paris and then we actually spent like a week down in Italy but you kept going south and it probably went I would say it was April in London we had pants jacket it was kind of overcast I don't know if it really rained but it was like overcast maybe spit rain here and there but you're probably talking like mid 50s mm-hmm. and kind of rainy then we got down to Italy, which, I mean, it, it was like going from New York to Florida. Yeah. Because it was like 90s, and yeah. it was hot, and it was humid, and it was like, it was so crazy that, of course, in our minds, it's like Europe, it's all just like smashed, it's like the United States, just like, new. it's like New England, it's like, no, like, it's like, I mean, it's like going from California, yeah. north of California down the south is almost the entire coast, so it's like, you got to think that there's probably a 30, 40 degree drop in temperature. Yeah, it literally is. And it's insane. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward. Europe, for whatever reason, doesn't hold the same the same like for me latin america is the number one place at my destinations it had always been i had always held like this lore about it for prior me. to going prior to even going okay um and i think that's why i have such an affection for it and such an affinity for it infinity is that the right word Infinity? Uh, affinity? Affinity. Affinity. Yeah. Affinity. Uh, yeah. Affinity. Yeah. Not infinity. Affinity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Affinity. You have an infinity amount of affinity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I, I actually do, f- the, the plan for me is to move to Mexico City at some point in the next couple of years. Um, I love the culture. I love the people. <clears throat> well, that's what I was going to wonder. Do you plan on like staying for, like permanently in a spot for a year or two years or three years and then? I would like to, I think. Um, some things right now are happening in my life where I think Mexico might be the place that I, I go to. Okay. Um, first of all, because our dollar goes so far there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking into starting to teach. When I get to Arizona, I'm going to start taking courses to teach English online. Okay. And if I can do that, that means I can get paid from my computer anywhere in the world. And so that makes Latin America and Asia very, very... Uh, so you would teach it to Latin, people from Latin America? Well, no. Usually it's people actually from Asia because there's a big market there because okay. because of how fast technology is moving in Asia that speaking and English is such a different language for them that there's a lot of schools that you can go online and, and speak English and teach English okay. and be paid in American dollars or be paid in another Western currency that is just worth so much more than Latin American Are, are you still doing anything with... Uh, with um, Personal training or fitness or any online programming? No, I'm not. I keep up my all my certs up to date. Mm-hmm. Um, when I get down there, I'll also be going back to back to classes, I guess, for CSCS, Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. This is only this is almost solely because I love learning about fitness. I love my own fitness. Um, I think, and I think just keeping up on it and keeping up on the science that's going on behind it is something valuable to me. And I I. And I don't want to toot my own horn. I'm a very good trainer. And I know I'm a very good trainer. Well, I think, too, if you look at, well, one, the skill level, but two, like I said, internet, like you can travel all throughout Europe and still program and still do stuff. And I think, like I know some people that, you know, are consultants and do things and they live all over the world and travel all over the world, but their business never changes. It's just really like where they're sitting. Um, Do you find, how how was it, I guess, fitness-wise traveling? How was that for you? So things change a little bit. Obviously, I'm not in the gym five, six days a week, and my my diet is kind of shifted. For me, I think you experience culture through food and drink. Um, Mm -hmm. And so obviously, I'm drinking a little bit more than I, I'm drinking way more than I would when I'm I'm at home. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially in Arizona, I barely drink. But when I'm, I'm traveling, especially in Mexico, you have tequila everywhere. You have good beers everywhere. Well, you're with a group of friends. And you're and having f- good yeah. times every night. And, yeah. you're, and you're not going to be like, no, I can't eat these tacos, man. I got to pay attention to my macros. Yeah. It, like, this is, I'm, I'm going to eat. But at the same time, I have my health app. And so you can look at my steps. When you travel, 
I mean, you just walk all day. Yeah. 20,000, 30,000 steps a day. You just need calories to kind so of you keep just, it. And yeah. you're never eating as much. Like, I never eat much traveling as I would when I'm at home. So I usually use, I think I lost like five or six pounds this time, mm-hmm. um, which I'm happier with that than gaining five, 10 pounds. I'd you rather, probably just shift in body composition. It's yes, probably the it big is. one. I look a little bit softer. I don't I mean yeah. I'm not, in, but I'm still not out of shape. I work out. I try to get to the gym three days a week. Um, whenever I land in a place, gym near me on, on Google. Oh, so you will still go. Oh to yeah. I still go train okay. every, because yeah, for me as crazy and as hectic as traveling is, as much as I do love it, I still do love when I go to the gym, I put my headphones on and if I'm going to the gym in the United States or I'm going to the gym in Mexico or Brazil, it's still the same thing. I still know how to work out. How, how are the gyms down there? Um, hit or miss. S- similar or are they? Yeah. Yeah. Hit or miss. The, my biggest pet peeve about Latin American gyms is they don't re-rack their weights in the correct place. So you have 115 over there. You have a 15 over there. You have a 40 in the middle. And they I'm just, just throw it more. They don't even care. And I'm just like this. As, as coming from living in the gym forever, I'm yeah. like, this is my biggest pet peeve. Yeah. Again, it's just something I'm that, saying I stack my weights yeah. by weight in <laughs> yeah. order of weight. But it's just, it's one of those things like this is, I'm the visitor. And so it, this is how we're going to do things. Um, but they have, I mean, equipment-wise, like oh, for sure. I mean, they're all. I mean, when I say, look, I guess if you're going to a city in Mexico City, I'm assuming the gyms are similar that you'd find in the city here. Yeah, I went to a gym. The main gym I went to was on the 15th floor of a giant skyscraper, and so you're overlooking the city. It has all brand new equipment. I mean, it's a legitimate gym. It's all machines, whatever you yeah, might need. And, free and weights, anything you need. When I was in Colombia, the gym overlooking the mountains, and all the trainers are there, and they're all very legitimate gyms. You go to Brazil, where fitness is like the top priority. Oh it's, really? Uh, it's, it's especially in Rio where it's all on the beach because much mo- most of Brazil is on the beach. Okay. And so it's just I mean these giant men on steroids, these gorgeous women. Everyone mm-hmm. looks like they do bikini shows. Yeah. And so the gyms are very legit. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I always wondered like when you get a place that's well, you, you think like two things. You think like one, it's like a very culture, food, drink, yes. you know, socialization. The siesta is a little more like you know less flow or more flow, less structure in the day, and then but gym is structured yes like nobody goes to the gym and just says ah, i'm just gonna wing it today because you still got to get up you got to go you got to have a plan you got to like you got to have your clothes you got to shower you got to have the yes. nutrition like so if, if you're if you're working out there's a level of structure that's needed yes i mean yes can you can you run out in the park and just do some push-ups and and you swing around and do some stuff absolutely so there's some i mean naturally physically i mean it can be a very free-flowing thing but Typically, people that are working out are on some type of program or regimen or have some type of longer-term plan than just show up today and just, like, do something. Yes, and I do think in Latin America in general, Mexico more so than other. Mexico, the United States is the fattest country in the world. Uh, I think Mexico is number three or four. Is that, is that confirmed? Yeah. The fattest? Yeah, we okay. the, yeah. I, I'm not surprised. I just yeah, wanted to know yeah. that was... Uh, and Mexico, I was actually arguing with a girl there. She's like, no, we're the fattest country. I was like... I think we've got you beat. You're been there. Was it Mississippi? Yeah, it's like yo, we're fat. We're fat. <laughs> <laughs> like Texas has three of the fattest cities in the country, so it's just it is what it is. Um, but the Latinas have this um, this reputation that I think that they like to uphold of being very beautiful, of being very fit, and so you will see on the on the men's side a little more bellies, a little bit out of shape, but the women are just. They're beautiful. That's Mexico. And they're fit. This is Latin America. I was gonna say because uh, Colombia, they're world females famous. Are absolutely, yeah. Amazing. World famous for being yeah. beautiful. Venezuelan girls. Yeah. Are, they're all Brazilian. They're all, yeah. they're all very beautiful, and they have that kind of the reputation to uphold, and they do like upholding it. 
Uh, and so fitness for them, I think, is a very important thing. Well, it makes sense. I mean, if you got if you're sit, sitting all day on the beach with your shirt off, you said you don't want to you don't want to look like shape, the soft the yeah. soft fat guy smoking a cigar. <laughs> <and> a, <laughs> yeah, we're we're in we're in less clothes than he should. But yeah. um, now, is there so okay? Europe? Do you plan on going into like Asia? At Not some this point? trip, probably. But you will um, at some point. I will. I'd like to do I kind of separate them into different places. Uh, I'd like to do a Southeast Asia trip where. I've talked to a lot of people, you can buy, you go to the North Vietnam, you buy a little motorbike and you take it all the way down the coast to South Vietnam. And then you go to Laos, Cambodia, Thailand, and, and uh, Indonesia. Now, how is that? Because my perception of that is similar to Latin America. Like that would be dangerous. That would be, So know. I've heard it's much safer just because the culture is a much more, uh, a much more, I don't want to say, relaxed isn't the right word, a much more subdued culture. It's like simpler? Like yes. Latin America is a wild place, man. Music and dancing and, and loud speaking and swearing at each other and yelling. and It's just a, it's a wild place. Uh, Asia, from what I've heard, I don't know from firsthand experience, but from what I've heard, it's a much more subdued place. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot, little bit more respectful. Uh, not so much machismo, not so much things like that. And so I think it is a little bit safer. And from what I've heard from travelers who have done both, mostly Europeans, they say, when we're young, we go to Asia because it kind of teaches you the ropes and it's a very, very beaten path on where to travel. That little Southeast Asia loop is millions of people have done it already. They say Latin America is kind of for the more advanced traveler. Okay. I had no idea when I went. I yeah. just said, oh, I'm just going to So you free willed it. Yeah. yeah like, and I love Latin America. So it worked out. But so that'd be the Asia trip. And then you do like, uh, you can do the islands, Philippines and work your way down to Australia, yeah. New Zealand, Tasmania and do that little bit. China and Japan and all in South Korea, that's another little trip you can do. Um, I'd love to go to Russia eventually. Um, well, Russia's always a weird one because, like, I, I don't know the actual demographics, but pretty much everything's just west in Russia. Yeah, I don't like, know. Like, there's I much mean, Russia's massive. It's huge. it's huge. It's the largest country geographically, but there's, like, nothing past, like, a certain... Yeah, once, I don't know where it is, but you can even see on the map. Every once just... in a while, I, I, I like, I'll go on to, uh, like, Google Maps... And I'll just like zoom into like obs- like these obscure places in the world. I'm like, oh, they have an Arby's, and they have like I think I was looking at it was the most northern northern point of the United States, which is the very very north of Alaska. Mm-hmm. And you start like looking at it, and I forgot why I was looking at this. And they had a road that went, and obviously, but there was like there was a city up there, which is insane. There was a football field. You can see the football field. So like there is a place up there, but. I mean, for us to get there, I don't even know how many hours of traveling it would be because, I mean, Alaska is massive. Yeah. It's a massive place. And, and again, I don't, in the context of everything, like if you were to take, you know, Alaska and just drop it, I mean, you know how big Texas is. Like yeah. Tex, how many Texases can fit in Alaska? Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, but when you start looking at these places that are, because I, I guess what I was trying to, was how close is Russia to Alaska? Like actually, like. I think like, it's, re- I think it's very close. relatively close. Yeah. Very close. I don't know if you could, I don't know if you could physically see it. It's probably far enough away where you yeah. couldn't see it. But it's. But then I was looking at like I think there's like a little island. But then I thought, is there like a bridge? But I don't even know. Is there a bridge or a ferry between the two? I'm guessing there's a ferry at some points of the year because it has to be something. And, and but if you you look at it, I'm like, so that place that's United States right there is 100 miles to Russia even though obviously that part of Russia like probably not much no yeah but it's like when you look at these places that in the world where I'm like or if you go to Russia and like zoom in on some of those maps like what's this small town that's not like it's thousands of miles from anything anything and it's like what do they do how do they get stuff like 
Do you get mail? Like a plane comes in once a month and drops stuff off? Well, that's like the, the when I was on the Amazon, we had this ship and once a month they would come by to these little rural communities where there's no electricity, there's nothing. And they would just drop off school supplies, drop off booze, drop off food, drop off toilet paper, anything they would need for the month. And then that was it. That was the only contact with the outside world. Well, I, I, so the thing with the United States, like, you always run the risk of, or you talk, like, or hear about, like, overpopulation. Mm-hmm. Because it's just, the amount of people that have come, in the last hundred years, the amount of how much the, the, the population of the world has increased. And you look at, like, at some point, what's the max that the, that the world could take? But then you go from a geographical standpoint is there's a lot of, I mean, even here, like yeah. if you really had to pack these, I mean, this is very rural. I mean, how many times you fl- the flyover states, United States has just land. Obviously it's like a lot of agriculture, but you kind of look at how many more people could you fit? I mean, I'm hundred billion people. I don't know. You a probably lot. could. A lot. I mean, there's a, lot. there's a ton of plate of Canada. There's, but again, how much is actually livable? Yes. But then again, if someone's living in certain spots, which they are, you can make any part of Canada livable. I would think. Yeah, we're very adaptive species, obviously. Yeah, because there's people yeah. that live like on the most tip point, going up to the north, like the North Pole, and yes. it's like okay, that they can live up there. You can live anywhere, but it's just it's bizarre to see this and like all the, you know, the the well, you go up was it the Inuit up in you know Canada, and you go to, like you said Amazon. These people that don't really come into contact with people. So I was on the we were on a bus through the Andes through Argentina. And we're at the top of these mountains with snow-covered peaks, and it's freezing cold, wind is whipping, and then these little wooden shacks, and there's people outside and kids running around. And they, I mean, they are so thousands of miles away from the nearest city, and they're up in the middle of these mountains with mountain goats just living. Talk about like stress-free. Yeah, no cell phone service up there. Oh, I mean, like, do they, do they have internet? I mean, <laughs> no, that's, I what I always look like. They don't. When I look at people, like what's crazy is there's people in the world that probably have never even heard of America or oh, probably sure. have never even heard of a, like who the Pope is or haven't heard of who the president of the United States is or haven't heard of, you know, and, and you kind of look at like, how, like, do you live in Iraq? Well, not really, but pretty close. Like we're, we just don't have any contact with anybody. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy that how interconnected the world is now that these, there's people that still just are like, they're out there and they're, I don't. It's it's just it's it's hard to wrap your mind around it. Obviously, when you go there, you're like, okay, I get it. But it's still like but it me, is, it me is thinking crazy. about it. I'm like, how did they not know about this stuff? It is crazy. But at the same time, when I'm like, I haven't watched the news from the United States in two months because I've been gone for two months. Yeah, there's not much. And and my mom will send me some updates, and I'm like, do not send me this crap. I don't want to see this yeah, when I'm traveling. But I and it's crazy because you would think coming from the United States, where it just for the last four years it was Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald mm-hmm. Trump. You would think. I mean, the whole world knows who he is, obviously, but it's not. The media here is just in your face. And then I got back to the gym yesterday at Planet Fitness, and it's just like school shooting, this shooting, this. Donald, it's, it's like this it's is doom and gloom. It is crazy. If it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. Dude, and you go down, and obviously they have their own news, they have their own stories going on, but it is just, it is so crazy in our media, in our media circle here. Well, yeah. Well, the problem is the United States, and again, I don't, I don't think this is a conspiracy, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but. You can't tell me there is absolutely what you, collusion or whatever between media and government. It's there. Big yeah. business, media, tech, That's government. That's what it is. It's there. Yeah. Yeah. It's exposed. The problem is they're so big and powerful that they can push agendas and they can sway. I mean, there's so many things that come out. If you do research, you can tell that certain things are done to sway public opinion yeah. or sway or push an agenda or whatever. And I think, you know, 
I, I believe love him or hate him. I think media got Donald Trump out of office. I think yeah. that was a direct thing. And but I also think it got him into office because it gave him so much. Well, I think press. both. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But you can see the power of what happened yes. with with the way that things are, are done. And now it's like agendas. He's out. Now agendas are different with Joe Biden. There's different agendas with different parts of the world. And, you know, and, and the same thing, like what they choose to focus on and what they choose not to focus on and what facts they use that aren't facts when you actually read it and listen to stuff like and you're like well that doesn't they're saying this but that's not even true but yet they're pushing it out and nobody nobody's going to take time to research it so like well that must be true it's on the news it's like well (laughs) and where i and where i what my thought process is on this is that when you keep a a group of people divided it's much easier to control them and so that's where the conspiracy theory Mm -hmm. i don't i don't go as far as be like oh the government's trying to control every move i make but at the same time when it's all this infighting between the people, the people in power can kind of get away with a little more. And I mean, I've been to 38 states. I've traveled through the South, I've traveled through the North, I've traveled through the West. Like I've been everywhere. Like you said, 95% of people are going to be nice. I mean, I broke down in Indiana in my RV, and the first thing I saw when I got to the, the, the garage was a giant bus with the most aggressive Trump flags I've ever seen in my life flying. I mean, him with like Putin flags, like having a machine gun, riding a horse and like crazy flags. And I mean, I come where I'm from, I'm a little more, I'm a little more liberal leaning. Yep. I have a little more left ideas, whatever that means. Yep. I think I'm pretty, pretty center. Yeah. But, um, but we talked and we had, and he's like, oh, you're, you're ex-military. You must be voting for Donald Trump. I'm like, actually, no, I'm not. And we sat there for an hour or two and the name, the guy's names were Tinker, Big John and Hammer. Yeah. And these are the three guys working on my, and I'm, and I'm just little old me. And we had a great dinner every night. And it was like, we have yeah. exactly opposing ideas, but we've had a common ground, had dinner and had drink beers together. Well, I think, I think the problem when you get to the national level, like it's funny, like local politics, I don't, ever look at political party. I, I don't know political party of really anybody. I don't care. I don't care if there's a, what letters on your name. Cause the local thing, it's like, we all kind of want the same stuff locally. Majority of people. And there's a few things that people disagree on, but not much. And usually majority takes control. And you look at the politicians on the local level, they're all pretty much what I would do. Whether you put a R D I, whatever next to my name, it would be the same. And then I find as you go into the state region, it gets a little more chaotic because you say like New York, New York State, like there's more crap going on in Albany than there is in Plattsburgh yes. and, and or wherever that person or those uh, region is. Then you go to the national level, you're never – if you have a politician that checks – if you check – if you take a politician, this is what they stand for and there's no way you can go down that list and check every single box and yeah. say that's me because it's not – I don't think it's true. And, the, and they – unfortunately, when you have two major pe- parties – and everything is opposite. Well, most people aren't that way. No. Like most people, like we said, bell curve. I look at myself as very moderate. I would say, if you had, I don't even know what you would say. I think I'm more like moderate, independent, libertarian than any of the other ones. I agree. And I think that most people are probably that route. But when you go Democrat, Republican, then it's just like you're taking these two big institutions that really aren't political parties anymore. They're no. app. They're they're companies. They're they're organizations. They're and when you try to they try to like box you into a side versus like, Hey, you know, Jonah's going to vote this way. And Galen either votes the same or different. That means if they vote the same, they're buddies. If they don't, they're enemies. I'm like, well, no, that's not, no. I care less. I don't, I could care less. Like I have so many people that voted for both sides. I'm like, that's all right. You're still cool. Like, yeah, you're there's, still good. I still like you. <laughs> well, that's the crazy thing is that when people get so tied to their political ideas that it becomes like an ideologue and that these people are held in such high esteem. And it's like, 
no, no, either you're with me or you're against me. It's like, well, we probably have more matching ideas than we do have different ideas, but there's some major issues that we see different on, and that's about it. And it's the way you interpret it and the way that – and a lot of it is, like I said, if you're – I'm a big intent guy, so if my intent's a certain purpose, but someone spun it wrong and heard it the wrong way, then I'm like, well, no. I said, I, you know, this is what I meant by it. If you want to spin it and make it that, that's on you. That's yes. not on me. If you want to do it, fine, whatever, but hopefully you, you, know, you figure it out and know that it wasn't like a – an attack or something, or even like when you say beliefs of, of, you know, there's certain things I think that are great, certain things I think are bad on both sides. And it's, and, but it's not because it's one against or for that side. It's just more of like, this is my belief. And my belief is going to be very much in that, probably that top bell curve of where That's majority it. of people lie. I think most people want health and safety and their family to have some money and their kids to do okay. Yeah. And, and just to kind of be left alone overall. And that doesn't just mean that means for the whole world, the United States, Latin America, Europe, these the same how, necessities. How's the, how's the media like in, in is it a little bit more like informative in Mexico City? Because I find our media up here is very much like opinion, polarizing piece. Let's get media attention. <laughs> let's get people talking. And it's like, well, it's not really the news. That's yes. you're, you're trying to run a business, you're trying to make money and get attention. Is, hey. is that same down there? Uh, yes and no, but like you'll watch CNN in Latin America, and it's a totally different. It's a totally different thing. It's like here are the facts. This person was captured. Okay, now we on to the next story. All right, here are the facts. This person was happened. This, yeah, this is what's going on. But here, ratings are money, and so money is what's it, opinions is what drives it. Yes. It's like people want to watch who they agree with. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the problem. We talk about like ideas. I've had so many people on the podcast. I've heard different ideas. I know people coming on are, are hardcore one side, hardcore the other. I've had both and it doesn't sway anything but you hear people's you hear what they say and hear different experiences and where they come from like you you i think it's great because well one i grew up with you but two then the fact that you've been able to bring a little bit of culture back and, and kind of paint it in a, a little bit more of like firsthand account of like ah, this is actually how it is like it's and i think it's eye-opening for some people eye-opening for me because i'm like okay well that's i mean my hope was it was that way, but you know, then in the back of my mind, it's like, well, Narcos is like running the whole world, and every corner has a Narcos guy on it, and yes. it's not. Again, that's we said before. That's that's like saying, you know, the the was it M thirteen is running MS, every yeah, single yeah, like yeah. or MS whatever they're yeah. called like run every single business around the world. And, and it's not. True. And I mean, I so I started in Mexico City, and then I went to the beach, went to Colombia, came back, and then I took a bus in the middle of the night um, from. Do you typically travel solo, or do some of these like people that are traveling just hook up with you and let's go to the next country together? Um, when I was in Colombia, I met a girl in Cartagena, and she had never. She was like, "Oh, I'm only in Colombia for two weeks, and I think I'm just gonna stay up here and not go to Medellin." I was like, "Wait, you're in Colombia? You're not going to the best city in the whole country? Like, come on, let's go." So we traveled together. I, I showed her around Medellin, um, but usually I like solo travel uh, because I, especially in the country that I've been before, I don't want to have to take somebody around because then I feel a pressure to make sure that they're loving it as much as I'm loving it. Yeah. And so I, and the freedom of solo travel, man, like you just land in these cities and you're just, you got your backpack on you're like, I don't have any plans. I have zero plans. I have a lot of money that I, in this country, cause I have an American dollar. I'm just going to go drop my bag at the hostel. And the first thing I do is just go for a walk. I go probably get a cappuccino. I go sit in the park and just, just people watch for hours. Well, it kind of, I mean, a totally different space, but like when I go golfing by myself or if I go skiing by myself, it's totally different. The first time I went skiing by myself, I was like, I almost didn't go, but I'm like, no, screw it. You took the day. Let's just go do it. And I remember going up and I put headphones in and I skied and it was so nice just to be like, I just feel like going this way. Yeah. And I felt like my, my experience, even though I skied for maybe an hour and 45 minutes, I just felt like the whole experience was quicker. I wasn't waiting for anybody or people weren't waiting for me. 
and I just felt that my the day flowed where I was like, I'm gonna go this way. I'm like, actually no, I'm just gonna let's just go this way. And I just felt like my for some reason like not, I wouldn't call it anxiety, but I just felt like my mind was just more like a very relaxed state throughout yeah. the whole day. And I was like, that was actually one of the most enjoyable days I've had probably ever just skiing. You're just doing whatever comes to mind. How, how is the uh, Mexico and I mean Colombia, obviously, but coffee down there is it's, it just it's, a difference? So actually, it's Colombian. <clears throat> when you're drinking coffee in Colombia, it's kind of a bummer because you're expecting ah oh, Colombian coffee, but they take all the good coffee and they send it out of country. Okay, so it's see, not like overwhelming. Like this no, is next level. but Mexico coffee is great. Okay, I love Mexican coffee and for like obviously you can find a good cappuccino in the states, but wherever you go in Latin America, whatever the smallest little coffee shop is, they're gonna have delicious espresso, delicious cappuccinos, and so that's what I like to drink anyway. And so it's just like it's part of the culture. Is a really good coffee. I uh, well, I kind of laugh because like Dunkin' Donuts. Like I, <laughs> I like I always look at like, I and I, I grew up drinking Dunkin' Donuts. I'll still have Dunkin' Donuts, yeah. but like same thing. It's like as your taste gets better, it's like saying like okay, I can go to a nice steakhouse, or then I can go to like Ponderosa steak dinner, where it's like well, it's like cooked medium medium uh, yeah. well, and yeah. it's like it's tough. But I think the idea of of coffee for me is like the smaller coffee shops. The little mom and pop shops, the little like independent places, blow any. And I love Starbucks because they do do a good job, but it's convenient. But if I'm traveling, if I can find a coffee shop, yeah. I'm down. Yeah. Even if the coffee's not great, the vibe is better. The better, it's better, yeah. and you can sit out front. And that's, I speak Spanish, but I don't speak it well enough to where if I'm sitting somewhere, I can pick up on different conversations. So it's very easy to kind of just sit somewhere and drink my coffee and to really zone out because I don't understand the, the language and I can just watch. And it just, it's just, it's a very surreal experience because there's, especially when you're not rushed. It's yeah, like, you're I, can, just, I can be here for an hour, I can be here for there, four dude, hours. And you have no plans. And then there's always street vendors going by like, I'm hungry. I'm going to be able to get a good, my, one of my favorite things is the fruit is so fresh in, in Latin America. Oh, and yeah, they have all, the, they have all these little vendors and you walk up to them, you pay 20 pesos, which is $1 for this giant cup of watermelon and pineapple. And you just sit and you drink your coffee, you eat your fruit, you get a Coca-Cola and you can sit on the bench for three, four hours a day and just watch little kids play, fucking families talk, street vendors. It, it, that is my, and I tell people that, they're like, well, what did you do when you were here? And I was like, honestly, I ate, I drank, and I sat a lot. And like, just And I just watched and well, I observed. I think there's something to be said about just quiet thinking. Like, that's the one thing I talk about slowing down. It's, you know, a, the ability where I don't have anything on my agenda for hours and I don't feel like, okay, I got an hour, but I'm worried about the next thing. I'll be like, I can just chill for a, a while. And I, and one of the things that I've had to do in my own, like, like you talk about like the rat race, like I've had to like pause my, like basically my phone, do not disturb. I had to pause my inbox. So like email doesn't come through for a certain amount of time. Cause then I just feel like, okay, I'm just good for like all this stuff will happen and it's not in a rush, but like, I don't want to just be, I don't want the notifications. I don't want the hustle and bustle or like, Oh my God, I got to respond to that. I'm just like, it's it's one like if I shut my phone off and I was to throw my phone at my house and go on a road trip, my level of anxiety would go down like this because I'm like even if people need to reach me, I physically can't talk to them and I just feel like well I can't do anything about it. So I'm yes. good. Let me well, just enjoy this thing. When I first started traveling, I would always get to a country and buy a SIM card in that country, so I would always have service. Yep. And after the first two countries, I was like maybe I'll just try it without one and just use the Wi-Fi when I'm in the hostel. And that has become the new way I travel because when I'm in Mexico, I had zero SIM cards. So but once I get off Wi-Fi, I have no more connection to the outside world. Like I, this works with a camera mm -hmm. and that's it. And luckily in South America and Latin America, you can, whenever you need Wi-Fi, every restaurant has Wi-Fi. 
So when you were like texting me or, or you, that was basically, you're just sitting in a cafe it's on the cafe in the hostel, but only where Wi-Fi would be possible. If I'm walking in the middle of the street, this thing is, is useless. Mm-hmm. I can't do anything with it, but photos, photos. Yeah. And the good thing about like Google maps and Google translate, you can download Google translate when you're on Wi-Fi to use when you're not. So you can always use it wherever you are. Like, if okay. you, yeah, that's a very useful tool. Same thing with Google maps. You can download they give you little blocks on the map, so if you need directions and you're in somewhere, you can always use it. And so that makes makes and that would still <clears throat> that would still search if you want to switch to a different location it would still show you the route. You would have to download these certain locations before, like so if you know where you're going for the day, it's like I'm going to this place I've never been. So you download that little location. We could even just screenshot it and just zoom in and be like, okay, yes. here's the the seven the blocks I'm gonna be around and today. And that's it, and you yeah. can figure it out. And when say you're on Wi-Fi and you'll have to walk 30 minutes somewhere, you can st- you can start the trip and then it'll stay on the trip the whole time even when you get off Wi-Fi. So you can still get the exact direction okay. you need. Yeah, that's good. So they do make life pretty easy. I was going to say, the G- GPS is like a necessity it where is. like I don't really need to... I mean, I guess you could argue calling someone if you really... But I'm sure you could figure out a way. Yeah. And the thing is, it's not like you can't find the numbers of the phone. No. You know, you can still yeah. look up my number and, and have calling me on a different phone or whatever. And you can, yeah. Um, you know who actually friend requested me? Friend re- requested me, and I think we've talked about him before, like a month ago, two months ago, was RJ. Really? <laughs> Out of the blue. And he doesn't have RJ. He's got his like, yeah, his he's got his 200 syllable or, name. Yeah. You know, name. And uh, I, I got it. And I was looking at it and I'm like, who the hell is it? And I'm like, oh shit, that's RJ. And Crazy. it's just, just like, and I think you were mutual friends. There's like, I think it was you, your brother, your yeah, mom. Yeah. And it was like maybe one other person, probably like Kyle Reynolds or something. It was like one <laughs> other person. And uh, I still remember when he, I, have you seen him since he was here? No. In person? We stayed in contact. Uh, we FaceTimed a couple times, but that's about it. Okay, so I remember... I rem- when, uh, it was about junior year, right? His junior year, and I think we might have been in ninth grade. Because okay. he, ju- he was older than us. I'm trying to think geographic. So I just remember we were the last person from Shay-Z to see him. Yeah. Because we, brought, he, he, we were flying somewhere, and he was on our plane. I sat next to him on the plane yeah. down to Newark, and I remember we helped him get to his <laughs> gate in Newark. And then I was just like, all right, man, we like we want to stay and hang, but we'd have to go to our plane. Yeah. And that was the last moment. So I always find it funny that we were like the last people that he ever That's saw cool. from, well, I mean, at least of, of Shay-Z, you know. Maybe of the United States ever. I, well, I mean, yeah, of, of people that he would recognize. Yeah. yeah minus the like people that work yeah, with that, or yeah, the yeah. random people in the airport. But um, I just thought it was funny. And then, and I didn't say anything to him. He just messaged me, but I, I should have just, re- I, I should do it still, but like. It was just very quick. I saw him like, oh my God, it's RJ. And just like clicked down. I kind of scrolled through a little bit. Yeah. He looks good. I mean, he looks yeah. like he's doing fine. He's got a few kids. Does he? Yeah, he's got, I think he's, he's doing just, like some tech thing or something. He is. And he just started some shirt business. I think he comes from a pretty wealthy family. Okay. Um, and so. That's he was Bangkok, right? Yeah. Does he still right. live there? I, I believe so. Yeah, he does. Because whenever he, he tells me to come over, we'll hang out. I stay at his house. We'll go see his family. We'll meet them all. Because you had mentioned if you go to Europe or Asia, he, he, 100% see going to see him. Yeah. That, yeah, that'd be cool. He's my only contact in Asia. Yeah, that, that'd be... Uh, no, I just... I, he was a cool dude back then. And, and uh, even with the cultural difference and the language barrier, he you could tell how much he grew over a year. Yes. Like he left and he was just like so so Americanized. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> yeah. um, but he was a cool guy. Um, so and now when you're traveling are you working at all at the time or zero so it's more of like save up the money travel come back work save money go travel and and with the education aspect if you are able to teach and are able to make an income um even if you were say hey i can make 30 40 thousand a year 
U.S. dollars mean for you? That's that's more than enough money in this. I mean, you'd be like, well, I mean, if you're in Latin America, it's, it's like oh, I don't have to do anything. You're like, hanging I'm, out. I'm living high in the hog here. You are. So is that maybe a, like you said, if you were to go down to um, Mexico City, be able to be some type of uh, um, linguist or teacher for language that you could. Uh, potentially live there for years and for sure and, and that, so that would be a and all these places all these major cities even the smaller beach towns they all um there's i mean there's so many digital nomads now in the world mm. that whenever you go to a hostel there's always 10 15 people in their little co-working area that are on the computer all day and they when have, you say digital nomads that but they're not working together they're working no they work at own companies and they're on their computer working. Yeah, so they're yeah. just traveling, but have like a consulting or a gig or whatever. Yeah, yeah. then they usually live for about a month in one place and they'll move to another city for another month and then another month. For me, that's I, not ideal. I'm on. I'm traveling. I want to travel. I want to yeah. go see. So like that, the teaching English thing is like 25 hours a week, which is I can get that done. But 40, 50 hours I, a week. Eh. I think. Uh, I, I think that. Again, if I was a single person, I would never do it with married or kids. No, but if yeah. I was, if I could do that and had a business like real estate, I couldn't do it. But if I was in a different business, I would be down to do that and travel because I think it'd be like I love Europe. I've been, I've never been to Latin America. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'll go at. So well, I say I've been to Mexico, but I'm using that term like in the sense I've only stepped foot in the country basically. Mm-hmm. But I think if um, given the chance, I would like to explore going down to Costa Rica. You've been to Costa Rica, right? Mm-hmm. Costa Rica, Panama, go down. To, you know. Um, I think at some point I'll go to Brazil just with a, you know, sure. knowing, knowing Kyle and Jeremy and just kind of like probably having an access to go down or travel with them at some point. Um, that would be fun. Um, now, the other thing I was going to ask you, how many, two things that I've noticed about you since the first time you came before you, cause you came on right before you left, you came on between the two during kind of COVID last year. And then now having done it again, going back, um, did you have any tattoos before you went? I had one. I had this one on my arm. You did have that. That was my went. first. I got it in November. The, I left in January the first time, and I got this in November for my birthday. And, okay, and I think you were here in December, so it's yeah. probably fresh. Do yeah. you have any more tattoos? Yeah, I have, I have one, two. I think I have like 14 now. So what I always find funny 13. is that knowing you that you didn't have one before, knowing like piercings, now you have some piercings. Like I'm, I'm just expecting like the more you travel, the more you're going to show up back like Johnny Depp, like Jack Sparrow. Like, like eventually you're going to show up and be like this, this like Keith Richards, Johnny Depp, like, like traveling. Yeah. But the one thing I find that's, uh, this cool is cause you get culture, you get different cultures. So I'm sure like most of your tattoos probably have something to do with the, cause you got, I'm assuming travels. So this whole leg is dedicated to the different countries I know and okay. the, the different cities I've lived in, in the United States. So each one is like a kind of a stamp, except for my dog. I have NOS on my knee. But it's kind of like a passport. Um, yeah, exactly. So if you have some of these been in other countries that you've gotten the tattoos? I, got, they... I just got this one in uh, in Colombia when I was there last. But I noticed that one. I'm like, yeah. you didn't have that last time I was And here. this guy did it just freehanded. He just said, all right, here we go, and just started doing it with the ink. And really? So it was super impressive. Yeah, and I was kind of nervous. I was like, all right, let's do, do, do you it. Get, I don't have any tattoos, but do you get nervous? Because obviously it's permanent. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you can get it removed, but I heard that's a bitch. But if you like, if it's permanent... And someone's doing it. I mean, obviously you're committed to like whatever, but is there some part of it like whatever? It's, whatever comes out comes out, and that's for I'm. Some people I think they get easier and easier as you get going, and mm-hmm. mine are all just like little pieces. So it's not like this one. When I get it finished on my sleeve, I want it done very well because it's a whole giant kind of a mural, mural piece. Yeah. yeah. These though, they're so small that it has if they're fucked up a little bit. It's more I, of a story than it is anything else. I, I think my favorite. Um, that's on your leg. This. No, which one are you talking about? The one on your leg? Uh, all of these on my leg. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the the one uh, 
I don't have any tattoos. I really don't have any desire to get tattoos. But if I had to pick a style of tattoo that I would get, the one that it always attracts me is the very subtle ones that you you have a hard time seeing. Not like not like a big sleeve or not like very bright, bold, like, you mm-hmm. know, like I, I think like generic, or not the generic, but the tattoos that I remember growing up with, people still get them, but you'll get like a big like emblem of something yes, on your yes. arm or back or leg. Um, I like the ones that are very subtle, where there might just be like a word or a line or a small symbol. Well, have you seen this one? Yeah, something like that, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We get like little ones. I know a girl that um, I knew. Well, I haven't seen her in a few years, but she was a dope girl, awesome, and she has like a little, you know, tattoo on her wrist. Very subtle, but it's from like her travels and yeah. stuff. And I think that's how I would do it. I'd probably get like something with my kids or something with my wife or something from Shay Z or something like. But they'd be really like I, I like the idea of. Um, uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but uh, uh, not the compass, but um, what's the marks? What are those called again? Latitude, longitude. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like when someone's like, you have like the, the longitude, latitude, like location. Yes. What are those called? The, I'm drawing a blank on them. Like you see like the, it'd be like northeast. The points. The points. What? Yeah. Okay. Whatever. But you know, know what I'm talking yeah, about, I right? Do, yeah. Okay. Like I've seen people do that for like locations yes. of places. Yes. I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on that. Um, but those would be the ones that, um, I think would be neat. And one of the guys that have them that I've seen a lot is, uh, you know, Casey Neistat that we've talked about yes. him. If you ever look at him, he's got a lot of tattoos, but he only has them on one arm. Okay. But they're all very like small symbols that are done by random people. I like They're that. all like, but again, they're not in the bigger picture. It's just almost like someone uses your arm as like a notebook and you just like jot stuff around, but they're memorable to you. Exactly. That's the way I would approach it would be like little small subtle ones that might only take how long did it take for your wrist? Half hour? Hour? Yeah, maybe half hour. Like it would be that, like a little yeah. quick, like here, like five minute doodle, and be like, oh, I got that from whatever. Yes. But it's a travel. Like that to me sticks out more because, you, like, instead of you only have so much real estate on your body. This is true. And besides turning into like Travis Barker or something. Well, this if I could afford it and I had gone to enough countries, I would be, like, my I really if I didn't want a job later in life of a serious nature, <laughs> I would have one on my head already. Really, I would, I would have a giant piece on my neck. I would love to be from head to toe if I could afford it. It's, I mean, you really would. I see. I would never. I, I would do. I would never do anything from my neck up. Because mm-hmm. I just like for me, like yeah, like Post Malone, not my vibe. Having yeah, tattoos yeah, yeah. on the face, like Birdman, like from the. I probably wouldn't do on the face. I kind of. I like my face how it is, but I really, for whatever reason, this like tattoo. Head? Well, on the side, so like when my hair would grow out, you would see a little bit of it, and but unless it was shaved, and I keep my hair pretty short normally, yeah. so you would see it, but. I just like I, I my tattoo artist has a tattoo right here and I'm like I, I like that. Really? I See, like I, that a lot. Like even like I know some people that have one behind the ear. I don't think yes. I would ever do up. I would do like I, arms that have no issue. Yep. I think I would do torso. Um I don't know if I would do leg. Like I know people do like legs down below, but I always find like I kind of want to like I I think arms and I think torso would be my top two. Maybe back, but mm-hmm. like I'm always thinking like somewhere on the chest or somewhere on the side. Like I always think side tattoos are cool. Ooh, that's a painful spot. I've though. heard that. I've <laughs> heard that. Everybody that's got them on the side said it's. Yeah. Do you have one on the side? No, I don't think I ever will. Cause that, I got them on my back. My hamstring hurt like nothing else. Like really, it was unreal. And I mean, my kneecap didn't even touch how bad my hamstring hurt. And it was, well, I get, yeah, because there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of like, it's that soft skin, man. But it's like, it's, it's muscle and then it's skin. So yeah. It's not like a lot of like it's, pressure. It's like in here. This kind of skin is that same skin. It's What's that, the easiest one that doesn't hurt? Leg um, is fine. Right up on the outside of your thigh, when I have like a, a cowboy riding a bull there, I, I literally didn't even, actually, this one behind my ear, it didn't feel like anything. There's just not a lot, really? of, there's not a lot of nerve endings. It was just, it was very loud because the needle's right there. But I mean, I, you could have just, 
you could. Does it, what does it feel like? Like a shock or a prick or a scratch? It feels like a hot knife going through your skin. <laughs> so it's bad, dude. This one, the back of my thought, my my hamstring, it felt like a spoon was just being dragged through my skin for two hours. Like I was almost in tears the whole time. It was unreal. What do you do? Just like put on like a music or a podcast? For me, it's more of like a meditative thing. It's just deep, deep breaths, calming down. Like it's it's, it's I mean it's an exercise. I did that for one of my uh, surgeries recently where I almost passed out. But that <laughs> it's uh, do you meditate? Um, I have in the past. This is this is too intense for me to meditate on. But it is a meditative exercise, I think, because. You're breathing. You're relaxing. And if you have a good artist, they're talking to you the whole time. Yeah. Um, and they know it hurts. So yes, it's not like- obviously. And my guy, we've been we've done now 13 tattoos together. Like, we have a pretty good relationship. We talk about everything. But and if it's your first, like this one, I remember when I first got this one done, my first one, I was so nervous. So nervous. So the guy was nice. Was it me, on the inside of your arm? Uh, right here. Okay. Yeah, that one. And he was just like, here, take a couple shots. Relax. No big deal. And so we're sitting there, and he started doing it. I was like, ah, oh, dude, we can get this all done today. No problem. And then an hour into it, I was like, this fucking hurts, man. We got to stop. Like, and it, at first, the first initial shock is painful. You're like, okay, this is what I signed up for. And then it kind of eases off when you start getting into it. You're like, you know the level of pain is not going to get any worse. Mm-hmm. But then when they start going over it and over it and over it and over it. Is that like, just to make it darker? Yeah, like up in here where they had to make it dark and in that little pit of my elbow. Yeah. <laughs> And then it starts bleeding and the skin's raw and it's just like, this is just torture. Yeah, it is torture. See, I like, I, I'm not one that seeks out pain. Like, <laughs> I, I think I do. I, like, if I had to, I could get by, like, as anybody, yeah. you know, but yeah. it's one of those deals. I'm like, God, if I don't have to do that, like, I'm not going to put myself through it. It's like, do you want to do something to, like, test getting shocked or getting tased? But like, no, I'm good. Yeah. Like, I'm sure it hurts. Yes, <laughs> like, yes. I can believe you. Yeah, they're they're all doable. Like, you can definitely do it. You can sit for an hour or two in some pretty serious pain, but they they hurt. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and I know, I've known quite a few people that have them, and some you can see, some you can't see. Um, I would actually say majority of people that work here have. There's a good, there's a good group of people that work here that have like an extensive amount. Mm-hmm. Like my assistant has, she's starting a sleeve, um, you know, and I, and I have a few other ones that have a lot of tattoos that sometimes you can't even see because they're just like in spots that yeah. clo- like clothes would be blocking them. But same thing, it's like man, that just seems like. It would be it hurt and it's expensive, right? Like, yeah. Like, I mean, if you were to take like one of those, like the one around your wrist, like, well, that was done in Colombia, so it was very cheap. The two in Colombia that I've gotten were sixty dollars each, okay. and the one in Colombia for my leg is the same size of the ones in the states that cost me three hundred. So, so there's the difference. So like the one on your arm, roughly how much does that cost? That maybe in the states one fifty two hundred, and in Colombia it cost me sixty dollars. And what about the sleeve? Oh, this the... one eight hundred, and that's everything for the one piece. How yeah. many settings? Uh, two. But he charged you and he just said, I'll finish it. Usually, so this guy was kind of starting, which I'm, he actually, it was, you're cheap because he's a very good artist. Um, and, but this guy in my leg, it is 150 an hour up to four hours. If you pay for four hours, it's 100 an hour. If you pay for eight hours, it's 75 an hour. Gotcha. And, and, and but I'm never paying for eight hours in a day. That's, that is insane to me. Do people do that? Oh, they just put a full shift Some in. people, they'll, they'll tell you, like, tattoo shops will have specials and be like, pay a thousand dollars or whatever the five pay five hundred dollars and sit as long as you possibly can and you have psychos come in and do their whole sleeve in a day and it's just <laughs> crazy people is, do take, could you take like a drug before going in yeah for sure just like go in and get yeah. like yeah yeah, yeah. high loopy whatever and and like um i don't i like kind of going in sober but like the first time i said and people are like oh you can't get drunk beforehand 
you can. It might bleed. You might bleed a little more, but you're not going to bleed out on the table because you've had some alcohol in mm-hmm. you. Like people get drunk tattoos all the time. So I mean, I would maybe take a shot just to kind of calm my nerves. But I don't get nervous like that. I mean, I know what to expect it now. Um, yeah. When I first got one of these on my leg, I walked in and this girl was laying there and she was getting a spider web in her armpit with the, with the spider going down her side and I was like, this girl is a psychopath. Well, the other like, thing too is you're getting a spider on your like. Yo, it better have a big, it better be Charlotte's web right there. Wild man. dude, a psychopath. Um, if her name was Charlotte, that'd be cool. That'd be but, perfect, but I don't know, man. That uh, was a crazy tattoo. Um, I've actually. The last couple of nights, I don't know why I've gotten into like deep dives. Like you had on like, you ever like look up something on Wikipedia? And then you click on something, and then you click on something, yeah, and then you go in the dark hole. Like I don't even know what I was looking yeah, at to yeah. start. So a couple, two nights ago, I, I I was watching a Beatles documentary, and then I ended up looking up the Beatles, and I think I was looking up how George Harrison died because I remember him passing because I was alive at the time, and it was like complications of lung cancer. So then I started like read it, and apparently like a year or two before, like some dude broke into his house and stabbed him like forty times. And like they had to take a portion of his lung, and I think it led to the complications that he ended up passing. And I don't know a lot about the Beatles, yeah. uh, besides they played. But then I realized like the Beatles were only really the Beatles for like seven years. Like you think about this, like, I thought it'd be twenty, thirty years. Yeah, yeah. well, they did, they made music, but they all broke up like I think around like nineteen seventy. They just okay. stopped, which is kind of like when you started seeing all these bands start emerging. Like the Beatles kind of came in, did their thing, bounced, and we start like diving into then I started like John Lennon and you started to read his backstory and like okay I remember John Lennon was shot and then you read like the story and like that's weird like and then I ended up last night something came up on Instagram oh this artist his name's Banksy have you heard of him I have yeah so I've heard of it and I'm like I don't know who this guy is so I I look it up so apparently it's like an anonymous artist so he'll go and do street art over now around the world Mm -hmm. but he, he started out in London and uh Basically, they kind of looked at, and he's got. I don't really know the paintings. Like they're not like something where you look like like a like a Picasso or yeah. a Da Vinci. Like that's it. But he's got a very different style. But it's all graffiti art. So he'll go with like a apparently like a stencil, pop the stencil up, spray it really quick, and he's probably done in minutes because he's doing these at night. I'm assuming, mm-hmm. and just will run off. And the next day, someone will show up and like, holy crap! And he'll like, whether he signs it or not, but it'll be under that. So apparently, I like. The conspiracy theory is that they have it kind of limited down to like a couple people who this guy might be because it's never been confirmed who the artist is. That's cool. So when you start looking at it and from an – like I like art and I have an appreciation for art. But then when you start – here's this guy that nobody really knows who he is and he's just going and dropping art and obviously making a good amount of money on it because he's selling it like these um, you know, uh, auction houses. And they had one painting that I guess people bought. But after they bought it, all of a sudden it went down and shredded. So what happened was he took the original piece that he had, he had made as this painting, and as soon as it was bought, then all of a sudden, like, it was like, all right, and something happened, and it went down and shredded about, I would say, 40% of the picture. So the picture now is the, in a frame with the picture, and underneath is actually the picture hanging out shredded like you would through a shredder. That's cool. And what they said is that the auction house, like, this is the first time that, which I loosely termed, art was created live during an auction. No shit. Yeah. yeah Which yeah, I guess yeah. it would yeah, because it yeah. changed the painting. So yeah. now this painting is not actually the painting because it's shredded. Now it's a different painting, even though it's shredded. So I'm like, yeah. which that's a very artist thing to but say. But in an arty world, <laughs> yeah. that, that's the idea. So when I was looking at this and I saw like a video and people were like, 
oh my God, what's going on? But it was planned. And mm. so then the person that bought it, it was like a million something they bought it for. And I think now, this was like two years ago maybe, like the amount that it's worth now is like times XXX. Like it's insane that, because I think just resold it, I uh, forgot what the amount was. But I think like as soon as it shredded, it ended up going in value like almost by twice as much. And then you look at that, I'm like, but again, art is such a weird, weird thing because art is, again, is what someone's willing to pay for it. Yeah. So if you did a piece of art and then someone known did a piece of art, well, like, I'm going to buy that because it's done by him. And I'm like, well, Jonas is better. Yeah. Like by majority of people think Jonas is better, but like, yeah, but this guy did it. So I think that's the, the supply and demand thing of art, which is weird. Or like tattoos, like why is this one worth more than this one? But again, it's their clout, it's reputation. Yes, and it I mean, I know people that, you know, professional tattoo artists and their art's fantastic, but I mean, they probably charge tens of thousands of dollars an hour. I know one dude, his, his tattoo cost him $12,000 and it's just a piece on his leg. And it's because of the person who's doing it came from Russia. He's a famous artist. Yeah. And then he came into his tattoo. And I'm sure it's cool, but I'm sure you could say, like, probably a lot of people could replicate that. Yeah, it's a great tattoo. Like, it is great work. Yeah. But I could get something for about $500 that might be just... Just a hair. 98% of that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But against the perfect, well, I guess it's like you see like music collaborations and you bring on some known name that sings like a line in it and all of a sudden now it's like featuring so-and-so and it sells this much yes. more versus some guy that came and sang a better lick for it or whatever. Yes. Um, and that's, that's always the fascination thing around art is that art is really the eye of the beholder. But when you have enough people that think about art, same thing with real estate. Enough people think that there's value to it. It raises the value. Yeah. The value is all subjective. It is. But then it ends up becoming concrete once it's paid and <laughs> once you put a monetary amount on it. So I'm, I'm always now fascinated by how art and how music and how, you know, whether it's tickets to concerts or plays, like how much those cost because of the demand where, again, I'm a, I'm a Dave Matthews fan. He played a private show this year. I think it cost – or one time he played at someone's wedding and it cost a million dollars and he played four songs. But – you look at that, I'm like, so here, this was a few years back. So he played four songs. So in theory, each song was worth $250,000, quarter of a million dollars for a song that yeah. you could literally just listen to on yeah. your phone, but it was live. But then the idea of, you know, obviously the travel and everything else, but if you were to say, okay, now you can go watch a show and watch 20 something songs for 50 bucks, but his demand for one person because you're buying that, that exclusivity. Yeah. Well, then also he used to play shows, same song for free in a bar in Virginia. Yes. And, but yeah. it's like the idea that how much the, like you drive up. And I think it's cool, but it's so funny how like that works because us as humans, we're the ones that actually put the price tag yeah, on that. Everything. And it's and when you dive deep into it, it's like, is it really worth that amount or – but it is because like even if I think it's not, you and a million other people do think it's, it's worth that much. it to you. Exactly. And it, Talking about tickets, I want to go back to traveling. Um, I went to a Mexico-Honduras World Cup qualifying game. and In, in, in Mexico. Mexico. In Stadium Azteca, which is like one of the cathedrals. That's the main one, right? Yeah, and it is 120,000 seats. There's 80,000 people there. The Mexico won 3 nothing. It was just... I've never been to a soccer game in my life, like in the professional, oh, pro, okay. professional one. Yeah. Um, and it was... I mean, we were, on, we were maybe three rows from the very top of the stadium, and so we were looking down the whole time. Mexican songs being sung, Spanish songs being sung, things being I'm, thrown. I'm sure, like smoke and flares up right. in the it air. It was the, one of the coolest experiences. Like, well, I know, um, like the U.S. has played. They play Mexico every year mm -hmm. at some point, or a couple times, and I think they played them last time in like uh, Columbus, Ohio, maybe, mm -hmm. or Cleveland, Ohio, somewhere like that, and they they beat them. And that was obviously a big moment. But then when you go down to like Mexico, it's a whole other world because that's where they play. It's the national team, and like the vibe is different. And I think the so. 
we went down to the Giants game this past weekend to beat the Eagles, so that I was know. good. Um, I haven't been paying attention. So. I, well, you know, you know <laughs> I what's hate cra- the Eagles. You know what's crazy is that um, my wife ended up surprising me with tickets. I haven't seen a Giants. I haven't seen an in-person NFL game since 2009, what? and I actually I haven't followed football that that much just between work and kids. I asked her, I'm like, how are the Giants doing this year? And then they were playing. I'm like, who's the Giants coach and who's their quarterback? It was Jones. But I'm like, I don't. I know Saquon Barkley, and that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. And uh, but it was the Michael Strahan. Um, they they dedic- or um, uh, okay. They retired his jersey. Yes. But then I'm like, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, you can see on the field, I'm like, Eli Manning, Justin Tuck, Chris Snead, like all these guys that we played with. I'm like, I know all them. Yeah, Tom yeah, Coughlin's yeah. here because that's when I, you know, that was like high school, college. But um, the sock when you take soccer, I couldn't imagine soccer down in Europe, like down in South America, Latin America. Europe's Europe, insane. Yeah. I went in Ireland. I went to a Gaelic football game. It was called the Munster Final, which is like the regional final. Mm-hmm. It was Kerry and Cork, which are like two neighbors, and it was insane. It was Gaelic football. The stadium, I mean, may, maybe had fifteen thousand people, twenty thousand mm-hmm. people. Like it was only so big. Yeah. And uh, and then once the game was done, everybody just went into the streets, yes. and you drank in the streets. Yes. There was like open container everywhere. It's like yes. good. You want beer? Have beer. And it was like. To go in, get a beer, go, and you had to go out in the in the road to drink it because it was so packed. And that experience, I was seventeen at the time, was amazing. Yeah, and that was just that was one small country's regional finals. I couldn't imagine a national soccer championship because yeah, there's no bigger sport than soccer. No, in the world, and it's I mean, and they won three nothing. And after that first goal, we knew it was gonna be a party. So like, and. And, like, and I'm, ass- I'm assuming there's just a ton of booze in that place. Yeah, it's just alcohol. Yeah. Out, and you get pint glasses for like a dollar and a half. Amazing. And so you just, we're all sitting there. And I had a, a dude from L.A., but he was Mexican, so he sang all the songs. So he's teaching me all the songs. And we're all singing. And a couple of European guys next to us, we're getting, we're getting hammered and chanting and everything. Amazing. It really it was. It was cool. My more favorite thing is Lucha Libre, which is, I don't know if you saw my pictures with the wrestling. No, no. no. Uh, so Lucha Libre is like. Wait, do you have it on your phone? I do. You bring, bring it up. I want to see it. Uh, it's the. Uh, it's like Mexican wrestling with the mask and everything. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Lucha Libre. It's exactly what it is. And the first time I went, I went to it and I was like, "Oh, this is amazing, dude!" And then you can flip through those. I went back a second time, the second round in Mexico City because I had loved it. You guys were actually wearing. masks? We all wore masks. A bunch of fucking stupid white people walking around in the streets with their masks on, going to tacos. Fucking, we're chanting the whole time, singing all the songs, getting hammered drunk, and you just and it's such a good time that all the Mexicans, there's like people who go there every week, are yelling at the fighters, screaming at fight. It was just now, it's so much fun, dude. Okay, but this this would be the equivalent of WWE. Yes. Okay, so this is not like I just yeah, I just did a pile driver. So like, (laughs) that is so wild. It is. Wow, it is packed there. Yeah, it's it holds I think twelve, and there's like six to eight thousand people every time. How often do they do this? They do it in one stadium Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then in that stadium Wednesday Fridays, so four days a week. Wow, I mean, well, remember. uh, did you watch WWF back in the day? Way back when. Uh, like Ray Mysterio Jr.? Yeah, that's where he, he got famous from these guys. Yeah, and Ray Mysterio was like my dude back yes. then. That was the guy I liked because he had the mask and he was flipping around and doing all this crazy stuff. And uh, yeah, then and to actually like see them do it, I mean, that's like a cultural thing. Like It is. I think that I think WWE is... I, so when we went down to New York City, we actually drove through Stanford, Connecticut. Okay. And you literally go driving down the road, and I forgot about this. I've heard of Stanford, but like didn't really put two and two together. We're driving down the road, and all of a sudden you see this big glass building with WWE sign. It was the headquarters of WWE. Really? I had and, no idea. And it looks like you're driving down. It's not anything like 
it's not this big it's a big building but it's literally like you turn into it like you're turning into a hotel mm-hmm. like it's not like really it's right in the center and uh just thinking the amount of people that it's like a cult that follow that yes. and i did as a kid i watched that. yeah I, mean, I haven't watched pro wrestling forever but i like i mean i would say kind of there was a glory years of the WWF WWE that I followed and there's some newer ones, but back then like Stone Cold, Steve Austin, Austin, or, uh, yeah, Undertaker, dudes. Kane, yes. Mankind, like, um, or Mick Foley, like all those guys. So I see that stuff. That looks wild though. This is that crazier. I mean, soccer's going to be the number one. Yeah, for sure. But that this must've been pretty it's, wild. It's wild. And for, if I lived there, this is something that I would go every Friday night because it's a great, it's only, it's like from 7 to 11, 7 to 10. So it's like a perfect Friday night thing. You go out, then you go eat some, there's a good street tacos thing right on the corner. So your night is rolling by the time as a single young man, like. And I'm sure if you have friends and you're watching oh, that, dude, it's awesome. you're just talking to people anyways and just like, yes. this is going on, but here's the crowd. So it's almost like you're just in an atmosphere. It's a wild atmosphere. Yeah. You're all drinking beers, all yelling. And like you saw, we all had masks on. So we're just. Where do you fool. get the mask? Like right you there? Buy them right in the street for a dollar. Really? Yeah, yeah. The whole night, the whole That's night, so fifty funny. pesos, hundred pesos, hundred. Whole night was seven dollars for beers, for the mask, for tacos, for entry, the entry. Yeah. That's cra- how many? How many? I mean, quite a bit of fights. Two hours of fighting. That's insane. So when you go back, you see the same guys kind of fight different people. Yeah, the, there's a Mystico is like the fame. He's like the Rey Mysterio Jr. Now he wasn't there this time. The first time I went, he was there, and when he came out. The whole place was just like he's fights in the WWE now. So when he's back, so he's like a god. There yeah, for that. people are just freaking out, chanting his name the whole time. Everyone has these white masks on because he wears white. And but this time it was a little more subdued. But the first time was they had they brought out the like the Mexican band or whatever, and they all playing the national anthem and the drum the drum line is there. It was a really cool experience. Yeah, I, I just think that some of those, uh, like the, almost like a party country. Again, yes. I, like what, San Antonio, I felt like San Antonio was a very big party. Like you could tell that they just had like a party vibe, but yes. like a, a communal party vibe. Yes. It wasn't like, you know, going to a club here and like you with your friends. It was like, let's get the whole group in. And like, see, like, the, at, like That's what it is, man. It's, the, it's, it's, it's drinking, it's partying, it's love, <laughs> it's, it's dancing. And like all of those things, the Spanish, the look of the people, they all flow in together so well. And it, it, the culture of... For me, of Latin America is such an endearing culture, such a loving place that it's just, it's really magical, man. It, it's yeah. a really, really great atmosphere. Well, if, if I ever uh, get the chance, if, I would love to. Now, just hearing you talk about it, it'd be cool just to go to those places. I think at some point it'd be like, hey, let's just go a trip. But granted, it makes it, you know, like I said, the one thing I always admire about you is if you're not really settled down, then don't settle down. Like, just get the most out of it until the point where you're just like, I just want to not do this anymore if it gets old. But if you're having fun doing it, then I'm like, do it as much as you can. Dude, I'm squeezing every last drop yeah. out of it. That is and you got, you got more. I mean, I'm sure most of these people that w- went, you know, must be 20s into probably closer to 40. Yeah, usually I'm I'm usually the oldest one. Okay. Not the oldest, but I'm in the hostel maybe on the, the upper echelon. It seems that, again, this is what I've been told, that the younger people travel around Asia just because it's done, been done more. It's a little more safer. Mm-hmm. Latin America seems to have an older vibe to it. Most of the travelers are from like 25 to 33, 34. Okay. Obviously, you get your random people who are 40, 50. I met a couple 60-year-olds one time in Chile. They were traveling together. Uh, I've met 18-year-olds who are on their first backpacking solo trip by themselves, and they just said, fuck it, I'll come to Latin America and see how it goes. Yeah. So there's a mix between everybody. But it's like, yeah, 25 to 33. Well, uh, actually, when you got sick... Is there like med- medicine, Medicare there, or are you just like I just sat my my nah, hotel so and just- I called up my old lieutenant from uh, the Navy, and so we have a very good relationship. I call her about everything, um, all my medical problems, and she's like, take Cipro. It's a short word for a lot longer antibi- antibiotic. Yep. 
It's a and you look online, it literally says for traveler's diarrhea, you take it. Um, so I was taking for the first four days, I was taking like charcoal and emodium. Just but there's like pharmacies there. Yeah, and you can okay. walk right in and be like, hey, I got this going on. Yeah, eighty pesos. All right, now you're good to go. And take the Cipro, popped it in. A day later, I was good to go. Okay, so yeah. it's like it, you have access to it. The that, first the first time I was there in Colombia, I got Giardia. I don't know if you know what that is. It's mm-hmm. a it's a bug. And I had it for four months, and I had no idea what was going on in my stomach. I got back to the States when COVID was going on, and I had it took three rounds of antibiotics, almost a full month on antibiotics to get rid of it. Really? That was serious. Yeah, I was losing weight, and then I had some real issues. And it comes out of dirty water, and so I could have picked it up. It's a contamination. Yeah, you don't drink water in South America or Latin America. You drink bottles only, um, or you have a filter in your bottle. Um, but I think I think I got it from the Amazon when I was on there because mm. I was brushing my teeth with Amazon water. I was showering in yeah, Amazon water. Makes sense. Yeah. Even showering, you're gonna get some in your mouth exactly. or something like that goes to the pores. But yeah. Um, all right, let's uh, let's wrap it up there it's because cool, uh, if you you gotta you gotta get your siesta before the party tonight. So, <laughs> um, but Joan, I appreciate you coming on as always. Thanks and for like me. I said, you're more, anytime you're in the back home, reach out. I'd love to have you back on. It's always a good time. So, um, I get, well, as I say, if you want to follow you, look you up on social media, but, um, like I said, traveling a lot, doing a lot of cool stuff. And, uh, like I said, it's, it's neat. Hopefully, uh, I'm curious to see what Europe brings. Cause I've been to Europe, so I have a little bit of a context there, but it's always cool to listen to new stuff. But, um, yeah, that's it. Episode 176 of the Galen Trombley show. We're out. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling, G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.